welcome to the final episode of Decomposing Worm, a worm analysis podcast. That's Clarence. He was the first-time reader and literary expert. And that's Matthias. He has read the story before. In this 13-and-a-half-ish episode series, we used critical theory to explore the superhero web serial worm from a high-level perspective, covering worm in six 300,000-ish word chunks. Mm-hmm. And today is part two of book six, Perspectives. So this will be our last time applying literary theory to Worm, um, kind of combing through uh, arcs 27 through uh, Teneral with um, a few different lenses, I think, this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and actually, I, I, I think we mm-hmm. both agree to basically open up our analysis to most of the novel, obviously trying to center it around things that uh, happen in, in this last section, but certainly yeah. not being limited, because this is the first time. Yeah, I definitely time. didn't limit myself to that. Yeah, because uh, we've we've now read all of Worm. This yeah, is the, have, this is the, the episode covering picture. all of Worm. Yeah, which is a lot to cover. It's a lot for any sort of analysis to uh uh, cover anything just because you're coming through 1.6 mm-hmm. million words. Um, this is a Harry Potter series and a half, so mm. quite a bit to cover. Uh, of course, as usual, if you have not finished Worm, uh, please do before you listen to this. Uh, this is a full spoil full spoilers discussion, uh, but I expect yeah, you already yeah. knew that. So this deep end, um, you should like know know the the ins and outs of everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, hopefully you're experts just like <laughs> us, right? I mean, okay, we're not like experts experts our, but our you know we've read it we've expertise. done some analysis now we have quasi expertise absolutely yeah um mm-hmm. if you've read worm and listened to we've got worm or us or both i would call mm-hmm. you an expert on some level um so yeah this is the final episode let's let's get into it. we're going to of course do our character studies our essays and have a uh, little bits of discussion in between uh then we're going to reflect on um de- decomposing worm as uh, as a concept and talk about uh yeah. what's mm. next if anything i feel like this point i should like insert the like uh, eyebrows but i can't because it's not visual but just know that they are there the eyebrows yeah, you know, like those like suggestive eyebrows where they like go like, up and like down, like the like a like a waggle. I guess I don't know. Like in <laughs> in uh in cartoons when they they like makes that little noise where it's like butter nada nada. Uh huh. Eyebrows move. <laughs> yep. There you go. I, I think I, I think I could imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Let's get into your character study. Yes, Who did you uh, do this time, Clarence? Okay. So I did um Glastig Winye, who mm-hmm. um. I have expressly pointed out that I like a lot, um, mm-hmm. but particularly in this arc, because we kind of get her full narrative mm-hmm. um, in a way that we didn't really get before. Um, yeah, so I I sort of uh, just kind of wandered around a bit in her, in her character study, so we'll just kind of go along. Um, mm-hmm. She's very, um, she's sort of like in the shadows, and when we first kind of... Uh, begin to like interact with her um and it's she's not really like in the shadows like like um ominous sort of thing which it's just that she's like sort of this thing that that like holds potential power and is this sort of like mythic character especially Mm -hmm. since she's like kind of wrapped in riddles and she has this sort of like glittery dark kind of uh visual aesthetic Mm -hmm. um it's very interesting because that image that that we are presented with is the one that she like has constructed of herself, right? That she's we we've we we aren't entering into this like as as her like origins. This is her this is her mythic tale at its end that she's like, you know, sort of uh, laid out in in her own specific words, um, so she can kind of like make sense of what 
knowledge she has. Um, yes, the words, I think, are my absolute favorite part of her because uh, we talk about words a lot um, and, and, and the way that uh, some others like Jack and Taylor like use communication and use words to get people to do things much more like um, in a rhetor- like very directly rhetorical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, with Glassic Winnie, it's much, she's much more like, um, it's, it's less of like getting people to do a particular thing. She doesn't, she doesn't weaponize her words. It's right. much more of like, um, she kind of presents information that she knows and isn't necessarily trying to get anyone to act a particular way. Mm-hmm. She just is imparting knowledge. She's a lot more um, poetic. In, in that, like, it's it's more about, it's not about persuasion. It's the mm-hmm. feeling and nuances. And, um, I mean, she wants you to understand, but also, like, if you don't, that's kind of on you. Yeah, yeah. There isn't, there isn't like, this, uh, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's much more, like, poetic rather than, like, strictly communicative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it got me thinking about, like, uh, particularly the, the, the conversations that, like, uh, Taylor and and I don't know why I keep returning to Taylor and Jack, but they mostly because they're like sort of like the speaker type individuals, right? Speaker type characters that we have. Um, her the way that she kind of uh, uses words is more of like it's less of like a prelude to violence, but rather like a sort of a very particular shade of characterizing and sort of like labeling individual like roles and importance and like time and all of this. Um, I just thought it was interesting because they speak about like violence and action and all the things that that um, like are very important within the tale, but like it's mm-hmm. none of it is really like meant as direct force, you know. None of the words are meant as direct force, is what you mean. Wait, what do you mean? What'd you say? None of the words are meant as direct force, is what you mean, right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but what was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of, like, this sort of, um, like, action-based sort of uh, progression, it's much more about, like, building a vocabulary mm-hmm. for, like, the phenomenon of the flapping beings. And, and I mean, she's not really, like, a Cassandra type uh, necessarily, but mm-hmm. she definitely has that sort of feel in terms of, like, having knowledge, but not necessarily um, because of that sort of, because of the vocabulary that she's built that no one else is really privy to. Um, she kind of, like, makes herself into that kind of mythic figure yeah i wonder part of it obviously is that she wants to distance herself from you know who she considers mere mortals not fairy right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah she's she's very like aware of her like separation from everyone else Mm -hmm. um i think at the end she basically she implies that not only does she not feel human she doesn't even feel parahuman yeah because that's something that she's trying to get to line um, about like that returning to like uh, where she's like I want to be more human, uh, never human per se, just more human, parahuman, that sort of thing. Where it's like yeah, she spent all the time in therapy thinking and sort of like rebuilding herself into something that is separate from uh, like uh, Sion and and the narrative that she has placed herself at the end of. Um, mm-hmm. So now she's just in the aftermath, sort of you know. Uh, kind of having to rebuild or like completely build a new uh, vocabulary for herself mm-hmm. um which we see that where she likes shifts um 
the way that she like speaks about uh her like the the like dead pair humans they're like passengers that she's like carting around mm-hmm. and where she like switches from uh instead of just like mere shadows these spirits were her warriors right so it's like she kind of i don't know i feel like she places so like even more weight on on the the connotations around words and like the power of words rather than what they can i mean it, it it seems to me like she uh she definitely views words as like framing thinking in addition to just communicating like by mm-hmm. changing the word for her uh for her from from ghosts or shades to warriors that may humanizes them more and she she's done, doing that intentionally to view them yeah, less as tools more... and more as fallen people yeah yeah it, i also find it interesting at that moment just to finish off is that um mm-hmm. She doesn't speak in that at the announcement ceremony because she knows that her her speech will give her away. She's still not yeah returned away from from her alien speech. Yeah, she's sort of she's she's built this new sort of she's like at the beginning of building a new vocabulary for herself, but like she hasn't fully embodied it yet, right? Mm-hmm. The like because she spent so long um, with like. A specific way that she thinks about herself in in and like terminology um that i feel like that switch can be especially when it's like she's left in in the wake of of what she has you know spent her life preparing for um that's a lot to like rebuild i think mm-hmm. um yes but yeah i don't know she's very i feel like she's like um i don't want to say like oddball even though i do like the feel of that term it's just she she's like she's set apart from a lot of the other parahumans in this story because like Worm is driven so like intensely forward by like direct action and like very strategic tactical planning and like you know like very harsh like verbal sparring and this sort of thing like there's a lot of like forward momentum um in both like the plot and like the the rhythm of uh like the composition of it mm-hmm. and she as a character isn't she doesn't really operate that way, mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, where she like she already has the the information that everyone is sort of seeking, and then she's kind of been she's been in this sort of anticipatory state for like the majority of Worm, just kind of like in the background, um, and then she also she doesn't necessarily think of herself um, with the same like proclivity for violence, I guess, because she like she acknowledges that she has like the capacity for it, but. She doesn't really, like, when she's talking to, um, uh, Yamada? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when Yamada, like, directly asks her, is like, do you, you know, think that you tend toward conflict? She's like, no. You know, that, that, you know, my, my, the, like, the passenger has, like, been more patient and more relaxed because it's, like, anticipating the, the, the duties at the end, right? Yeah, it seems to me that she's not, I, I think she is one of Sion's shards because, uh, if she second triggered, which I think she did, um, <laughs> then... It, it would have to be a live shard, so it can't be one of Eden's. It has to be one of his. Um, yeah. But even even so, she's does not she she doesn't cause she doesn't have a conflict drive like everyone else does. And I think mm-hmm. it's that's made made into a fact by the fact that she just turned herself in and went to the birdcage and just sat there without any escalation for yeah, a very yeah. very long time. Yeah, because the the concept of like even her her like um gathering of of uh, passengers and the conflict that comes with that like inherently i suppose of like of her her 
you know, murdering and such. Um, mm-hmm. It isn't it isn't driven like by anything besides collecting. Yeah. You know, collecting in self-defense, it seems like, but not mm-hmm. like real self-defense. Like she could have run away. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So she sort of has this like knowing waiting patience um, that is just kind of present. But I mean, if you look at it like her narrative uh, chronologically, I suppose she she does have that sort of um, she does fit into that sort of uh, what we we said last time that it was like a building's Roman, perhaps this like coming of age is that she in her mind, she's like in that sort of childlike stasis. Right. And then she's like attached to Sion as perhaps a father father figure or like this like knowing being. And then, you know, where she's kind of like after after everything, she has this this realization of like the folly of man, um, which I suppose is tied into like parental disappointment and all of this. Um, <laughs> so which observation is that? Um, oh, when when uh, Yamada is is talking to her mm-hmm. about like like this state of adolescence that she's sort of entering into about like rebelling against a parental figure and like how she she's kind of like become this this someone who is looking for definition after um after Sion has has uh, been defeated mm-hmm. um yeah where she's sort of like now she like enters into this state of i don't think it's moratorium but it's one of those it's like one of the four late stage adolescent choices of like where she like enters into like an identity crisis i think yeah I don't know. I took educational psychology like a while ago, and so I don't remember precisely. Um, but the one where it's like she now that she doesn't have that like uh, like standard and and stable goal to be working towards. Now that she sees that as something flawed, like she kind of has to like you know find herself to be something that she doesn't know herself to be yet. I guess that that didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that made sense. Um, but she's in I mean, this like she's... state of flux. Yeah, well, yeah, she's trying to be something new, something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Even though she doesn't quite know what that is yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. But then she ne- we we see her where she doesn't necessarily like even after she's like reexamining herself and redefining and kind of like laying out these different things, um, these different like uh, structural ways that she can kind of like you know uh, remake herself. There's still like this latent fear i think of like repeating the mistakes of her predecessor um mm-hmm. of like um i wrote down the arrogance of the unknowingly ignorant okay um, which is like like someone who like doesn't know that they don't know yeah don't know you know what i mean yeah yeah um where where they don't know that they need to change mm-hmm. and i suppose even if one is in that state of flux and and, and um, like a transformation, there is still that like underlying fear. I think of like not knowing enough to like not changing enough, perhaps um, mm-hmm. because she still has the sort of like the specter of her past actions um, behind her, right? Where she's like in her conversation with uh, Yamada, she's Yamada. talking about like uh, Yamada. Sorry, no, um, I mean no. She's talking it about fine too. Um, the, the like present tense or past tense of like mm-hmm. having One murdered who or murders. being murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone who has murdered uh, or someone who does murder. Yeah. And then like later on, she has that whole conversation with um, um, Nilbog, I think. Yes. And I Nilbog, a... yeah. And uh, Bonesaw as well. Or Riley. Yeah, and Bonesaw. I should say. That's another case of, of names. Yeah, yeah. Where they're, they're sort of 
in this new state, but they are still like there's like vestigial feelings and 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 thought paths. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That like are difficult to like fully extract. You know, and excavate. Um, yeah, so she's sort of like still in this state of flux, which I mean, I suppose that's sort of how we all are after we've yeah. gone through a state of transformation. There's still that like you're still sort of moving, you know, where it's like the the sand that never quite settles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. We've talked about before. Identity is something that you are never, you you have never fully become, and you have never mm-hmm. fully grasped what you are because every single moment that you do that, you are slightly changing for the moment before. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It was just very her her preoccupation with words. I think um, was just it was it was a unique um, approach. I think. If it, mm-hmm. No, not a unique approach. It, it's a unique like um, uh, like understanding of it, and ter- just in terms of of the individual characters that we've been introduced to, I think, uh, in Worm, mm-hmm. which because is because she where she sits like she sits on like the back of her heels, you know, like when she speaks and when she like you know uh, shares her knowledge or or uh, interacts or speaks about herself, like. There's there's this almost this like distance between like her words versus um, the like senses and actions and like the physicality of what happens. Okay. Um, I don't know. Well, it was just so many of the other ones are are very like direct. Like there's so mm-hmm. much direct conversation that happens um, where she seems like she is perhaps a bit like untethered to it, but then also like very aware of it of like what's happening okay. and what needs to happen. Does that make sense? I, I think so. So you're talking about how when she talks, it's it's like it remains in the abstract rather than like tying back to it, it's almost always just about like the, the, the concepts and things rather than like, this is how things are. We need to go this way or that mm-hmm. way. It's like it's always playing in a, in a state of metaphor or close to metaphor. Yeah. Um, or yeah. hypothetical. She's sort of like, yeah, she remains in the hypothetical even when she is in like the thick of it. Right. Even when she's talking about the real or like trying to communicate things, mm-hmm. yeah, she she remains fairly to a higher level in conversation, never quite yeah. dipping down. Yeah, but I don't know. She's a very interesting character to me. Mm-hmm. Just because she like stood out. I mean, not that all of them are like yeah, they all similar, stick out. Just, yeah, but of course. But, yeah, yeah, like they're all very unique in each individual way. Um, but yeah, she seemed like she's like that. Uh, I don't know, like the the book that you forget is on the shelf until it's mm-hmm. like yeah, it's interesting vitally how, like, important to run across. Yeah, yeah, I, I find it interesting how she comes in right at the end, right? Mm-hmm. There's only one significant moment with her before, and that's a very short conversation with Panacea, right? Yeah, and then she's only and then suddenly present. she's like essential. Yes, yeah, it's only in the last two arcs that she's at all uh, like textually significant. Maybe maybe last three. Um, like Eidlon's interlude, a conversation mm-hmm. on on the cliffside, um, and then especially during Spec, but yeah, almost spec. nowhere else. And yet she is like the she she talks about the themes of the entire novel. She's the first mm-hmm. interlude, um, and she's right there with at Taylor's end. It's interesting. Yeah, she really sort of is like I, I feel like we talked about the whole deal with like um like a flipbook sort of individuals where like we don't know. Like or or individuals that like fade or like uh you know are waiting in the wings or like go off and then we come back and we like interact with them again and they have like different sort of 
um, like we, we, we see their, their tail as it like progresses, but not directly. Um, I feel like she's one of those that's just like in the choir seats, mm-hmm. you know, like not, not like at the organ, but like definitely in the choir seats where it's like, you know, she's present and you can like feel her presence, but like she's not, you know, in, in the action, you know? Mm-hmm. I think I, I think I can kind of understand what you're saying. Yeah. Even though. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're being just as abstract as as she is. I know it's very. I I, I will because she kept using all these like a uh, theater. Uh, I mean, she really you know, does feel like like you imaginings. know like Oberon or or the Fairy Queen in like yeah. uh, Midsummer's Night Dream, where it's like yeah, like um the, the ones that like are are sort of like floating mm-hmm. in like the space, and they never quite leave the stage, um, but you yeah. know that they are there, even but they're not totally there. They're not. They're, yeah, they're not know, the ones dissolved. taking the action. Yeah. 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 So her, I yeah. mean, her name, you know, her her self-appointed name really fits, I think, in terms of how she like, you know, uh, inhabits her her role as the fairy queen. Yeah. The the um yeah uh the, if you're okay with skipping around a bit um mm-hmm. of just like analyses and stuff, it just it's just some stuff I was thinking about is how like there are times where she for for most of the book she really does seem like fairly mature as like you know she's the wise the alien crazed woman right yeah um but in that talk with yamada she really does seem like to have regressed a bit um where you know she's she's much shorter to uh threaten violence there's a part Mm -hmm. where yamada goes to talk to chevalier right and she pulls out a shade to uh listen in and it doesn't even seem like a tactical listening in. It really feels like a child like listening into her parents or something. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, that, that they're not, they don't function as her parents at all. Like that's not the metaphor, but just it's very like she feels a little shameful about it. It's more just to find out what they're saying about her rather than like you know any plans or anything. Yeah. Um. It's just that, like in that moment in particular, I was very much like, oh, this is yeah, this is a insecure kid. Yeah. Well, it's just she felt. Like, her theatricality had such assurance to it, mm-hmm. you know, that she seemed so sure and, and you know, solid in in the plan that was going to occur. Um, and especially since she has, she's held that knowledge, you know, before anyone else will be had seen, um, she seemed to be, like, in the know. Um, even, you know, Cauldron and, and all of them knew already, but, like, she was the first one that we saw who seemed to know what was going on. Yeah. Um in any sort of, you know, relative totality. Um, and I feel like that sort of that the the not going to plan of of uh Scion's like final, you know, um fight was I feel like that sort of broke her um assurance mm-hmm. and and in doing so sort of left her bereft of knowing who she was and what her role was. Yeah. Um, just like in life. Um, yeah, because, I mean, what do you do after you have gotten to the end of your tale? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, and it, So uh, if you're okay with a, also another angle as of just, like, comparing her directly to, mm. to Taylor and her relationship with her dad. Yeah, um, yeah go ahead. And, or just parents in general. So mm-hmm. uh, Taylor lost one parent, right? And then in the aftermath of that, her other um, parent basically like broke temporarily at least um mm-hmm. couldn't take care of her and for the fairy queen i guess technically one parent died although i don't know how much she like 
it's kind of like a parent that died before her birth, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, she, like, you know, never knew her. But she knows that there's, like, a loss. And Sion is the, like, aimless parent. Um, yeah. And the, But then at the end, of course, he gets totally broken. And seeing that sort of breaks her, too. I think she was crying, mm-hmm. too, at the end. Um, or at yeah, least yeah. clearly emotionally shocked. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just, like, parent and child or just, like, Empath- like uh, empathetic, but I feel mm-hmm. like that is like one of the most terrifying experiences is mm. to like see a parent who like never cries cry or like br- like yeah. break down. Because um, yeah. then like everything that seems stable is suddenly like thrown into like you know topsy turvy like you know like where you know you're sort of like left in this ocean of like who knows what's going to happen next. There's there's nothing to hold on to, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, so it just seems like it becomes quite unstable at the end. Her, like, yeah. identity. I mean, before she sort of, like, spends all this time kind of rebuilding it. But, yeah, she, she like, she, she defined herself so strongly, like, by her nature, I guess, or by, in in reference to, to Sion and, and um, that whole sort of situation that, yeah, I don't know, when she was left alone, she was sort of uh, I, all of the like structures, I guess, and like paths that she had created of herself kind of had to be like redefined or like not redefined, but like renamed, which I suppose mm-hmm. in and of itself could be a redefinition. But yeah, she's a very complex individual for the small amount of time we see her. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't even know, we don't know what her trigger event was, and yet no, we don't. We was still, yeah, I feel a like lot. the the closest to like, um, her like background that we get is is Eidolon, um, who kind of has this recollection of like when she turns herself in. Um, but besides that, it's kind of I don't know. Yeah, we don't really see the origin of it, but we feel that that actually I suppose that's interesting that we don't have that. But then we have so much of her identity, like articulated later, is that it kind of like mm-hmm. her her passenger and like her pair human identity sort of uh like um overtook whatever identity existed before mm-hmm. in a way that she like in it seemed like in like a voluntary way that the k-53s did not have but like that she sort of like how contessa was just kind of like i have to choose this mm-hmm. i feel like uh classic also made a similar choice what's interesting uh to me on on some levels is how uh taylor otherizes her her passenger a lot Right, mm-hmm. she views it as a as a separate thing that's like touching her and controlling her and influencing her, yeah. while the fairy queen and and really most pair humans either don't think about it or just view it as a part of themselves. And it, it, I think it's especially interesting with the fairy queen with classic Gwenye because she knows how influenced by her shard she is. Like, mm-hmm. there's a conversation of like she triggered very young and it's become much of a part of her. Uh, obviously, a lot of her priorities were based off of the shard or at least something that her normal human mind viewed for the shard's perspective and then like internalized. Yeah. Um, and uh, some, some significance with that. I, I think before we, I, near the beginning of the, the podcast, um, we talked a little bit about how powers can sort of be, they, they can be viewed as um, mental illness, right? And how mm-hmm. we sort of deal with that. Yeah. And 
I, I think this is a, like a couple of different approaches that people do. Some people, they otherize their mental illness, right? They say that like my my depression is a part of my brain that hates me or whatever, yeah, right? Yeah. This, is, this is something that I can fight against because it's not me. It's not really me. But at mm-hmm. the same time, like it is really you. It's just a part that you were trying to change. Yeah, and yeah. that's more the Glastogwenier perspective, I think, where it's like it has influenced her so much that like it, she is that it's inextricable from from her identity but yeah. she's trying to change There's pieces of herself that she can't separate yeah. from it yeah. yeah but she can change like its manifestation mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's hers is um much more like um like inculcated i think is the term that i'm thinking of uh-huh. like like um all sort of like wrapped up in herself um where there is there is no sort of division between self and other i think in her mind, mm-hmm. where she just sort of has become this, um, yeah, being in like totality of it, of like this sort of like a uh, third entity, I guess, not entity like the flapping beings, but like there was a person before, and then now there's a passenger that joined, and now there's like a third mm. iteration of self, I guess. Yeah, it's neither of those things. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that's sort of my evaluation of her. Hell yeah! Okay. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts before we move on? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. If anyone else has any observations about Glastogwenye, please uh, send us a message. Yes, please share. Um, we would respond somehow, uh, if not in an actual episode, uh, yeah. either by email or or in the, the discussion thread for sure. Yeah, or send on us Discord. emails. Yes, we, that that will definitely we, still we be active. We miss missives. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let us. Um, start with uh, my character study before we get into mm-hmm. the essays. One second. So I was looking at Eidolon, uh, as I mentioned before, um, because I, there was just too much to talk about in a one particular section. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a couple of particular angles I want to look at about how Eidolon can be seen as a uh, great example of of some of the trappings of toxic masculinity and also of just like a... You know, classic example. I mean, actually, he is a tragic character now that I think about it. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, he starts off when we see him in the story at the place of like a glory, and then he descends over time, and finally, that that flaw at the end is what does him in, right? Um, ah, ah, so, he's classic, tra- you know, tragic figure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it, we're gonna look at exactly like um, what is significant about how he dies. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, one thing I want to address that we've talked about this before is how all cauldron capes uh, have incredible trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I can't think of any that that don't. We don't see legends. Fair enough. Um, mm. We don't know. But is there what, an implication that the ones that take the like cauldron capes, like they they even if they don't experience it, they still have their like whatever that they went through. Yes. Yeah, all of them had like a near death experience, or like yeah. all of them were desperate enough to take a vial that could turn them into a monster or kill them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Alexandria obviously traumatized. Uh, Eidolon here obviously traumatized. All the case fifty threes mm-hmm. are traumatized post at the very least, if not yeah. before. Um, so the idea that they're that they are they don't have a trigger event doesn't mean that yeah, they are, but it's aren't sort traumatized. Of like, yeah. Is it, I suppose it's it, like a prerequisite, perhaps. Yeah. It, it, oh, so, um, so one thing, uh, a, a lot of the, the stuff I'm talking about this episode, uh, I was talking with a friend uh, named Elliot, and, and she helped me with uh, come up with a, a lot of this. Uh, not Elliot from Deep Impact, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. 
but uh, something that we talked about was how um, almost everyone in Worm is traumatized, like not just people with powers. And I think that's yeah. actually pretty reflective of reality where like everyone's had something fucked up happen at some point. Um, like Pigo, uh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Danny, yeah. yes. Sierra, yes. Charlotte, yes. Um, basically everyone in Brockton Bay, to be honest. Uh, the only people yeah, that, that like, I can think of... Even if there's mm-hmm. not individual trauma, then there's still like a like collective trauma of like yeah, community yeah. or societal. I mean, hell, they have a 9-11 every three months. Like Yeah. And then even in the aftermath, like everyone has to sort of like live with this, you know, this like enormous loss of, of yeah. you know, their previous ways of life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- just, to, just to name a couple others, I don't know if Glenn... It, that had something i'm sure he did but i don't know what mm-hmm. but uh kaye he has like this big scar on his face i'm sure that was mm, something yeah yeah um and there's there's not really not that many more non-parahuman characters but um i mean emma come on like everyone mm-hmm. everyone yeah so um anyway that's a that's a tangent so a good um, tangent i think yes so so let, to get into idolon right so when we when we see him he um is uh, getting talked to by Dr. Mother and, and Contessa, getting talked into uh, taking a vial. Um, we get revealed that uh, he's disabled and kind of like ashamed of it and ashamed that the whole town sort of shames him for it uh, or mm-hmm. makes him or pities him really strongly. Yeah. Um, and he tried to join the army and they wouldn't accept him. Um, and uh, he tried to kill himself afterwards, right? And so we sort of get the understanding of like, okay, he really cares a lot about being useful um and mm-hmm. on some level uh appealing to masculine idea ideals of strength i'm pretty sure there's stuff about his father right um not wanting to disappoint his father yeah and yeah. wanting to be like a good soldier these are all very like masculine ideals and at the state that he was in before he felt that he couldn't achieve those and therefore his life was not worth anything mm-hmm. so then uh he gets superpowers. And not only does he get superpowers, he gets the most powerful power ever, right? Mm-hmm. And, okay, so his his disability is is um, removed, right? Uh, and he's given much more power than anyone else on the He's the second most powerful being on the planet, right? The most powerful mm-hmm. human, minus the Endbringers. Um, oh, and I... yet, we don't ever see him satisfied with that at all. Yeah. I, he probably was at the very, very beginning, but... No, even then, though, I, I bet he was, like, frustrated that he couldn't pick his power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but every time afterwards, he's only he only ever talks about how he's losing his power. He's losing his power. He's not strong as he used to be. Remember how strong he used to be? He's not that strong anymore. And he can't do it. Um, and uh, it's it's an unearned power, right? And I think yeah, he's... He, yeah. <laughs> one significant thing is that I think he's bad at it. He's not good at his power, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, he's he's, you know better than someone else who just like started right but he didn't really innovate um he's good at like figuring them out on the go right but he's not i mean he's fought for a very long time right so he's at least somewhat tenacious at least somewhat like smart enough to like you know be be quick but how much of his strength is just his power and how much of it is actually his strength yeah yeah like i think it's almost entirely his power i think and almost anyone with his power would be almost as successful as him right um and yeah, uh, so when he gets weaker, he such, oh, go ahead. Like he has such like, I feel like he, even after he has such this internalized like sense of shame mm-hmm. about like how he acquired it and 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 how he like it is the answer to what he was looking for, but it ne- not 
it's even it's even if it's the answer that he was asking for, it wasn't necessarily one that he needed. Mm-hmm. Yes. So he's sort I, yeah, of like I, yep. those pieces of himself that he was, you know, unable to like uh, you know, sort of sort through and process, he still hasn't. Right? Now he's just kind of like mm-hmm. he's he's placed a band aid on it, basically. One hundred percent. I think that's his yeah. entire I think that's that's his problem, is that he was given a material sort of solution, but his his problem but obviously, you know, having a disability is a huge problem, but his, his real mm-hmm. problem was the sense of shame yeah. and inability to be okay with his circumstances, right? Yeah. You know, he when he gets weaker over time, he never, like, he's still the most powerful person ever, right? But he doesn't have access to his super uber powerful ones, right? But he mm-hmm. doesn't, like, try to practice with them. He doesn't, you know, it, it's not until Glass Gwenye tells him to, or tells him how to drain other shards, right, basically, or how to get to that power that he does. And so he's only preoccupied with, like, the ultimate strength, which is already unreachable. It's unreachable yeah, for the moment yeah. that he got the power. Um, <sighs> and, uh, yeah, it doesn't actually solve at all his 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 issue. Um, so go, going back a bit, when I was first reading his interlude, or this time around anyway, I was struck by, like, how whiny he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yeah. the entire time... He's he's it's a constant refrain about how he's not strong enough, how he used to be stronger. He's so weak now. Um, it, it, there's one part where, like I think it's post the the echidna incident, and they're all all the cauldrons kind of t- talking about what to do in the aftermath, the political fallout. You know uh, how Alexandria is going to have to oh, yeah, step down. Isn't that when Legend shows up and is like all mad and all of them are mad and like it's this yeah, whole thing? Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Hey, Legend's like, oh, you so you have been experimenting this whole time, right? Mm-hmm. You you made the case fifty threes. You turned them into that, right? And so they're all you know debating what the hell they're gonna do after this. And Adelon's just he just talks about himself. He goes, yeah, yeah. Don't you guys get it? If I was stronger, do you really think that this would have happened, right? And it's like, okay, well, and like, I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe not. But also, like, what what does that matter, Idolon? You can't. We don't have a solution like he, available. Like, he like obsesses over this fact like over this Mm -hmm. need to like be strong enough to like protect everyone and to like be the be the hero that that everyone is like yeah like anticipating him being that he has named himself and they have named him like it's what i I do is what he says yeah he like he lives in this like state of fear of of not being who he says he is you know and i feel like this particular Mm. this like the concept of losing that which makes him him that he has decided that this strength is going to be like the end all be all piece of identity piece of his identity mm-hmm. like the like keystone or whatever um the con like the the possibility of losing that i think like you know sends him into this sort of like spiral of like i can't think yeah. about anything else besides this yep yeah uh, it's one thing i think is interesting there about how like, he doesn't actually... So there's this one part where he, you know, he sort of throws a tantrum when... I mean, that's a little bit too belittling, but it's kind of what happens when mm-hmm. Dr. Mother cuts him off of the, the boosters, right? Because they are more... They're, they're better used for more experiments rather than boosting him yeah. by a couple percentage points. Um, and he gets very upset because, like, this is the one thing that was sort of bringing him back to any sort of power. Mm-hmm. And he says he says something like... I've dedicated my life to this. I didn't have romance. I sacrificed my career. Uh, like all the social stuff is gone because um, you know I wanted to save lives, right? It's like yeah. no, you don't. You don't care about saving lives. 
It's like he doesn't. There's nothing at all in the entire every time we've seen him that shows that he cares about people's lives. Yeah. What he cares about it's much more about is like being the hero. Yeah, yeah. And like getting the the imagined glory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's been some bits about how he's not happy about not being the top um, person in the Protectorate either uh, mm-hmm. of the Triumvirate, how Legend and Alexander maybe get more attention. Yeah. But it's just like, yeah, he's just, he needs to be the most important person. Um, it's, I guess, as a sort of, you know, he he used to be shamed and thought as like the least important person or and other things like that. And so now he's doing everything he can to not be that again without yeah. addressing the fact that, like, he never actually was the least important person. He never was... It, like, some people shamed him for sure, but I think, it honestly, it wasn't as many as he thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, his father, for sure, right? But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not... sort of... He, mm-hmm. he kind of made it into this whole, like, entirety instead of it being, you know... Mm-hmm perhaps concentrated in specific areas, specific individuals. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's sort of, like, made... He has, he's created this this um, ultimatum, I think, in his head of, mm-hmm. like, I have to be the best or I am the worst, you know? Right. Um, yeah. That he, like, he can't get out of that mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is interesting because that is also sort of, I feel like, the, the, tra- the tragic flaw mm-hmm. of Shadowstalker is that mm-hmm. she can't get out of that mentality that she has placed upon herself, like the way that she mm-hmm. thinks about the world in that sort of like, you know, predator prey, like, you know, um, this or that. Like she can't she can't redefine it. And I feel like that's what mm-hmm. ultimately leaves her in the end still, you know, harboring that anger. Um Yeah. I don't know. It's very interesting because so many of the ones later on, like do like the ones that that have you know kind of this this positive narrative arc um are the characters that can identify those pieces of their thinking and like leave themselves like open to to like a redefinition um or Mm -hmm. like you know a reconsideration i think of of the way that they uh process the world Mm -hmm. but yeah it's interesting that they they the tragic figures get kind of stuck in their mindsets yeah, they're they're still at the moment before they got their powers. They they haven't yeah. progressed really beyond that. It's just slightly changed changed form. But yeah, it, w- one other thing is how like entitled his his mm-hmm. his yeah. idea of power is. Like it's not an earned power. He's not like oh I need to practice to to get the to become the strongest again. I need to seek out the 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 best you know parahuman to unlock this. He's just like. I, I mean, I, okay, to be a little bit more afraid of him, he tries to seek out, you know, bigger challenges, right? But, like, that's... It's only so he can feel stronger. It's not, like, so he can yeah. actually, like, get... He wants to be stronger, but not better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's also exactly, like, a super, you know, toxic masculinity thing, which is, like, this idea of, like, being strong and everything should be easy or should, like, be natural. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's like, and if you're not that, then it's a failure. Like mm-hmm. it's it's something wrong with you, not something to to either try to change or to accept. Yeah, to like examine and think about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I can the, definitely see the, that. The last thing, of course, let's look at his death, right? Um. So what happens is he's he's winning, right? He's just found out how to how to drain shards, and now he's had access to powers that weren't 
he didn't have access to for a very long time. And he's working with uh, Elastic Wenye, and it's, he's, it's, it's a really good hard fight, right? And mm-hmm. uh, he feels finally a little bit on top of the world. He lives for this, right? And then Sion is there. Uh, he turns around and uses Path to Victory to tell him you needed worthy opponents. <sighs> and so first, he gets the implication of what that means. And then second, he, he understands he has Contessa's power. And then he, he lets himself die. Yeah. So one, I'm sure the emotional impact of, oh, all those people's deaths is my fault did do something, right? But I really think mm-hmm. that the thing that did him in is the fact that he has Contessa's power, right? Yeah. Now, this is a little bit of a uh, grandfather paradox where, like, if he didn't give in because of hearing those words, then Sion would have said something else, mm-hmm. right? But the fact that those yeah, words yeah. did work on him, right? So th- the reason that he gives in is because it feels hopeless to win, right? It's like, this is mm-hmm. the movie that was going to kill me. Um, and if it wasn't this, it would have been something else. I was going to lose no matter what. Yeah, yeah. And Ailon just seems like he can't understand the feeling of, like, still fighting even if you can't win. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't understand the whole, like, the concept of, like, holding out. Yeah, like, even though it's a pointless fight, even though you are losing, even though you are the weaker person, even though, like, eventually it would all be for naught to still struggle. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, that seems like quite a a troublesome, uh, like, conundrum. Yeah. Because there's so many fights that seem like you can't win them, you know? And your opponent will tell you that you can't win them. And, like, Mm -hmm. the only reason that you will is if you continue fighting, you know? Yeah. And sort of, I don't know, it just, it seems so limiting. Or at least make things better, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, what are those um, uh, wicked problems? Um, have you heard that term before? No. It's, I think it's an engineering term. Um, but it's about, like, problems that have, like, they, there, there isn't one solution and there isn't, you know, the best solution. There's just some solutions to make it work for a while while you think of more what's, solutions. What's the word? Wicked problem. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. I hadn't heard it, but that, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I defined it exactly correctly, because this is just, like, me recounting dinner conversation, but, um, yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that don't have a perfect end, or, like, there isn't, that there is, or that would just be continuous, or, like, continual, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. I think about this a lot, um... For a related term, I have a, 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 a. I think a lot about like little tragedies, about mm-hmm. things that you you can't change and are like not terrible, but like make the world slightly worse or unhappy. Yeah. 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 Anyway, um, yeah. So that yeah, that's 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 my 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 final thing about how if you know I I think a, a stronger like mentally stronger a, a less flawed person would have kept fighting for the sake of everyone else. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sion would still have killed them, but in some other way. Do you think um, whoever was meant to receive Eidolon's shard would have? Hmm. Hmm. Like, do you think because he took this unearned power, um, do you think that was one of the reasons why he was sort of stuck like this? That's a great question. Because it wasn't necessarily meant for him. I wonder who would have gotten it. I mean, probably almost no one. No one in the story, but like... Yeah, yeah, somebody... Way far off. Yeah. It's too bad we didn't see it in Eden's interlude. But Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking about that, about all of the, like, cauldron capes of, like, what 
what would have happened if instead of Cauldron sort of, you know, uh, deciding by themselves who should who should uh, receive it. Um, actually, mm. I suppose it would have gone bad, right? Because then if they had gone all to the right people, would they have would would the the plan of planet consumption have carried yeah, if, out? I mean, if the Eden, way that it's supposed if Eden, to have? if Eden is is around, yes. If Eden is still dead, but somehow everyone still got the shards, I think it, the world would be a terrible place because that's like double the amount of parahumans. But mm-hmm. uh, but no, I don't think it would have. I think it would have ended in the same sort of confrontation with Sion. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So that's what I have on Adelon. If anyone has any um, any comments or anything, uh, let us let us know. Yes, share with us what okay. you think. Favorite moments before we move into the essays. Favorite uh, so, so favorite moments that we haven't already talked about in this last section. Um, although if we have any others from just the book at large, I guess we could also mention those. Uh, it's kind of hard to uh, to call that's back. A lot. That's a lot to remember. Yeah, it's a lot to remember. Yeah, a lot to go um, through. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of them are like tiny detail ones that I was like, I'm going to mm-hmm. stick this on a sticky note so I don't forget it. Um, yeah, that's what my three are. So my first one is um, that moment when when Taylor is like gone out into like the the like battlefield after she's like become Capri and and when she she first encounters like Imp and Rachel and Imp sort of tries to speak to her and then Taylor doesn't really respond quite anything at all like coherently or anything and then imp just kind of is like hmm and because i think taylor says there's just this sort of like mutual non-communication um and and it's really it's sort of like a secondary element to like the like rachel kepri interaction that happens but like i don't know it just seemed like a really interesting and and apt um depiction of of imp sort of like middle ground responses between like tattletale and rachel um, to mm. to Taylor in general, um, yeah. Yeah, I can definitely Anyways, see that about. It was a very small she... moment, but I liked it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's not. She's she stays, you know, mostly verbal, but she does communicate on a lower level than than Tattletale does. Mm-hmm. Um, one of mine was uh, Taylor's scream at Dragon, or more specifically, just her general like motherly feelings, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean, uh, daughterly yeah, feelings, I yeah. guess. You know, wanting to hug this big piece of metal um and then sort a, of like inexplicable yeah. want yeah it was it was so sad oh yeah yeah knowing that she's a a bot but still um yeah yeah because that like i don't know the like comfort zone of maternal embrace is like it's it's so very far from from a, like a metallic being mm-hmm. yeah that whole sequence i think was really like emotional Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she oh. ends up just screaming after. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Hmm. What's another one? I liked. Um. Oh, I don't remember when this particularly occurs, but I really like when the conversation of like Taylor and Tattletail is happening when they're like looking down at the Earth Gimel settlement. I think. Hmm. Um. And I don't know if they like they're talking about humanity. I think where Taylor's sort of like surprised that Tattletail was so like willing to fight for them or something I don't know it was it was a peculiar moment of conversation between them two and I don't remember if mm-hmm. they actually um I don't remember if what I wrote down was like actually what they said or if I was just thinking that um but I was I I wrote down about the notion that humanity like clings to itself like a string um mm. 
in this particular moment, that was the vision that I had, but I don't know if that was like in the text or not, but it seemed like a really nice sentiment um, and particularly, you know, accurate for for these these little pieces of, of humanity that's like been broken up and they're all sort of like clustered. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it was a good image. It's not necessarily I think a moment, so too. I suppose. It's more of like a Yeah, yeah. Well, visual. I mean, that counts. Yeah. Um, so um, another one for me was both of the moments with Dinah, um, particularly the one where she pulls out Dinah uh, at the height of being Kepri and turns her around and just staring at her with like, you know, controlled eyes um, yeah. in that flashback. Uh, mm -hmm. You're there, but you're different. Oh, it's so... Yeah. It's a very cinematic moment to me. Um, yeah, there's. A, I, that, I feel like that's one of the ones that we've like we've been waiting for, you know. Mm -hmm. But like, it, there's it, always something that we didn't we didn't know that we were waiting for, but we were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like there's always like things at the end that you you've been waiting for because you know that yeah. maybe something will happen and it'll like tie in at the end because it can't be yeah. the thing that happens in the middle. Um, and I feel like that was one of the moments. Yeah. Uh, one one other little one um, is something that that. I just know that we didn't mention was uh, when she takes control of Alexandria, right? Uh, she says something like controlling the manipulator, controlling the manipulative bitch Alexandria. It's yeah. like completely. And then Alexandria gets broken to pieces afterwards. I mean, it's pretender, but still. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's totally un. When was Alexandria manipulative? Like, not really. Like, she lied a bit. What? I, I mean, I guess. What? When well, was okay, she manipulative? Look, like, that whole no, okay, sequence okay, okay, before she died. Well, I just okay. Well, like <laughs> I just wouldn't classify that as manipulation. Manipulation seems so much more like personal and individual to me. It is. It is. Than... She convinced Taylor that she <sighs> killed one of her friends. I don't, but this manipulation is like manipulative. Okay, look. And she's look, like going Jack, off and she's like Jack. You know, is a manipulator. Her. Jack is a manipulator. Okay. Jack is a long-term manipulator. Uh, Alexandra like, oh, no, is like, no. like you know, short little. She, she's like. Also, she's, she's been like, lying to like everybody. Okay, well, it's not the same though. It's so much more blunt. It's it's so much more, like she's not like subtly changing every one of her words to like get you to slightly feel a different way. No, she's like she's. It's a whole show. It's she's like conning you, not manipulating. But that is manipulation. No, but it's like more, okay, it's well, more. It's not as like uh refined as as jacks maybe but like that's still manipulation i think well okay okay here's here's the difference okay it's like if i was trying to like convince my brother to i don't know like um i don't fucking know mow the lawn or something right mm -hmm. so one way to manipulate is like say oh dad dad told you to and it's a lie okay yeah right and another way is to be like well, hey, it's actually really sunny out, you know, and, and you can actually, uh, I know you've been wanting to like work out. And this is actually one way to work out. Um, so it actually would be really, really good for you for your, you to do that. Um, and, and, and like doing an enticement like that way. That one seems more like manipulation or like, oh, I always, I always mow on when it's not the truth. Um, so this time it's your turn, right? And do some like gaslighting that way. Okay. Mm. That seems manipulation to me. And the other one is just like a lie. But like she does, like one is she does do the the like manipulating of you know kind of doctoring of of uh, the truth of things, or she's like purposely you know what omitting I think it is? What? information. And I, I think with manipulation, you you kind of don't notice that it's manipulation, and that I think it was very obvious what Alexandra was doing. It just was also working that she was. I mean, but maybe it's just un un. 
um, un, uh, like, a unmastered, um, manipulation. Mm. Uh, send us an email or, 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 or like... a comment. Let us know if, if uh, Clarence <laughs> is right or if I'm right. <laughs> yes. Was Would you classify Alexandria's actions as uh, specifically manipulative or would you try to use a different word? Yes. How do you define Tell me manipulative? I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell Clarence he's wrong. Thank you for your support. Uh, we should have a, a poll. Um, okay. <clears throat> do you have another one? Um, yes, I do. And this is the best. Um, because I forgot about it, I think. I don't think I brought it up. Um, if I did, who cares? Because we should talk about it all the time. Um, but it's Panacea's gift of bugs with internal organs. Um, <laughs> which is like a nice moment of growth, I think, on her part. First, that she can put the organs in and that she, like, chose to. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, bugs. Very nice. <laughs> ah, this is the only yeah, instance yeah. that I actually, like, entertain the concept of bugs. In real life, we Warm. do not get along. That's fair. That's fair. We have a different vibe in uh, real life. Uh, I think I already told you this, but isn't there like a fact of like, there's always a spider within five feet of you or something? I've been thinking about that a lot recently. That is horrendous. I think you said but that last time too. Unsurprising. Mm-hmm. But I mean, spiders are like nice. They eat other bugs. Yeah, exactly. You know, like gnats. Gnats are devilish beings. <sighs> I had a very big spider in the in the backyard. Um, like... Uh, How maybe large? half a palm size. Oh, um, those rather are large. It was. It's just. A, it was a garden spider, right? Yeah. Um, it had a big web, and it was like in a, a pretty good location in in some flowers and stuff. Um, and then it just disappeared one day. The the, the mm. web is still there in the same state it was. The spider is just gone. It's just gone. Maybe it's like Charlotte. <laughs> when when has know? joined a pig? Yeah, or she like went off. <laughs> On her life or something. I don't know. Mm, could be. There's this could whole, be. like, um, world... There's this whole, like, community of spiders that live on the ceiling of the post office. It's great. Is they this have, a, like, a story or... No, this is, like, for real. There's okay. these... With these, um, you know, sort of like a pin... Or, like, the top of a pencil eraser-type body. And then, like, really long legs. Oh, and there's, like... Okay. You know... I don't know, 20 to 30 that live in each little, like, pocket of the the post office, and they're all, like, on top. And it's, like, deathly silent, right? Because it's the post office. What? What, um, what, what post office is this? And they just kind of this? exist. Uh, the one, I don't Where? know. Where? In College Station. It's, like... Uh, the, why are there so... Do you, why don't they clean it out? Because nobody goes there. The, you know, it has why, that why sort you, of, like, feel of, of like, an un, under-visited place. Until why, you go into why, like the main place where you buy stamps, and then there's like five pictures of Daddy Bush, and it's wait, horrendous. You you buy sand, S- stamps, stamps. Oh, like stamps. That part. Okay. The, but the like post office boxes, those little like catacomb type feel. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. The the cubbies. Yeah. Yeah, that's where all the spiders live. It's fun. They gossip. <laughs> cool. Cool. Oh my god. You're welcome. Uh, do do you think they read people's mail? The spiders. Yeah, for, no, for the they're gossip. Like, they they ha- they've got their whole community going on already. Like, cool. Why are there thing. so many bugs inside the post office that they can like all survive? I have no idea. Well, it's also because like people are constantly coming in and out, so like the doors open all the time. So there's other bugs that come in, and like the bottom of the doors probably don't have very good like rubber. But how many you know, bugs could possibly come in every day? I don't know. 
What are, they, what are they eating when they come inside? Uh, not the, not the spiders, the other bugs. Who knows? Things that have people have on their feet, you know? Things in the trash. I food. I don't understand. Left on the insect ecosystem. When you're trying to like, this is the most distressing thing that we've spoken about in this entire podcast. Really? Oh, I thought and, it was just a fun thing that happens on Tuesdays. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, well, it's when like I head the over, you're gonna have to show like, me the spider of grocery stores and like you know. I don't know. Or like bats. Mm-hmm. It's like just beings that exist. Mm. I like those um, fuzzy little caterpillars that are probably dangerous. Yes, probably. Somewhat. Not that dangerous. Yeah. They probably just make you itchy. Uh, well, uh, just to insert my own spider story, um, I went uh, camping and uh, in at one of the, the, the bathrooms at the campsite. Mm-hmm. Um, I took my whole shower, right? And I was, I, you know, I was naked as, as you do when you shower. As you right? do when you're in the um, shower. And then I noticed there's like a, there's, I, I looked up and there was a like palm-sized spider uh, in, at one corner of the ceiling, another one that was slightly smaller on another corner. It was a very tall ceiling, but they were very scary looking. And then Ooh. I looked under a bench that was there, and mm-hmm. um, they were not black widows, but they were that shape, you know, the big like bulb shape. Yeah. Um, and there was like four of them. Each of them was like bigger than like thumb shape, and there was a bunch of egg sacs, and they were all like twitching. And like, so almost like dancing on top of the egg sacs. It oh, was how exciting! Horrifying. If you would like to see these things, um, if you go on my tit on my Twitter, which is at Podmatius, and scroll down far enough, you can find three videos I took of them. Wow! Ah, they're very so big, exciting. and they were very distressing. Yes, I feel like little egg sacs are such exciting things to find. You know, there was a lot. There was a lot of them. Man, it's like new life. And I was naked in their presence. It was very. Was, that I is, feel very that is frightening. That that does sound yes. quite distressing. I'm yes. glad you survived. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> um, the last any, thing I just want to mention. Have other it was a uh, yeah. It was just a uh, Rachel with the the boulder, the the the, the um, memorial to Taylor, uh, and yes. uh, specifically that moment where she bumps her mm-hmm. head against it. It's just very. I felt for her a lot there. Yeah. 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 I feel like she's one of the ones that we like feel actively memorializing a lot like mm-hmm. like throughout um yeah because some of the other ones it's like more like pointed or or in a particular moment but like i feel like she sort of like carries those that she has lost all of the time you know yeah like, and you can like feel I mean, it she, yeah same thing with uh her dogs too yeah 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 ah rachel okay uh cool. let's let's get into your essay okay um so my essay is generally about um, words and and actions and motives, um, and more specifically about like the violence of the body existing as sort of beneath, but then also in tandem with that of the word and like of the mind, um, which sounds super abstract, and it kind of is. Um, but we're gonna kind of wander around in that concept sounds that good. like the violence of of words is is um sort of like overarching whereas like the violence of the body either is because of or sort of like exists alongside um the the communicated language um so so i have two individuals um i was going to just do kenneth burke um but then i got thinking about uh, foucault and it's hard to stop thinking about foucault um Mm -hmm. when i start but so um, before we get into any of that, I want to talk about uh, 
Burke, but it's only really a, a small moment um, because the concept that I'm pulling from him is this idea of like a militaristic ingredient that's like embedded or sort of underlined in language, in our language currently. Um, and it's not really a quote that um, you'll see in like a published book um, because mm -hmm. it's from an earlier draft of a book proposal of the okay. word words, which he didn't actually publish in his lifetime, but he wrote as a follow-up to the rhetoric of motives and only recently mm -hmm. was published um, by Dr. Jensen, who was uh, one of my rhetoric professors. But Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like super like embedded in the like beginning stages of that book. Um, but he was writing um, kind of post-World War II after um, America like dropped the bombs, right? So he's kind of like in the wake of this new reality of like how far we are willing to go, individuals are willing to go, and how, how much people are willing to sacrifice um, other people's lives without... Mm -hmm. and anyways, um, yeah, so he was sort of like writing in that uh, historical space, if that kind of gives you context. Um, so we're going to hold on to that concept of, like, violence sort of, like, embedded or, or um, you know, kind of couched within language. Um, and then, uh, as we kind of keep that in mind, um, there there's uh, this concept that uh, Foucault came up with about um, how motive, like, crime's motive um, kind of gets, like, is sort of, like, writ into... Um, an individual like it's sort of like grafted on um mm -hmm. to make it into like like into something more like uh articulated i guess um even if Can that you elaborate motive, on that even if the motive isn't necessarily the like true motive of an individual um there's like the the way that that like confessional type situations are set up um that uh the motivation behind an act and in this particular sense it's uh, like a criminal act, but I feel like it could be applied to like other concepts of, as well. Um, is that whatever whatever motive has been articulated is is influenced by the situation in which it's being articulated, like in which it's being spoken. Um, okay. So it sort of like feeds into it of like whoever is like you know kind of listening and and um, asking for this this confession, this, this explanation for whatever action it was, um, influences, like, what the individual will say, if that makes sense. Okay. And then by influencing it, whoever says that kind of internalizes what they've said and thinks that whatever they have said is the motive, even if it's not. Um. It, from the beginning. I feel like that got a bit circular. It did a little bit. A little bit. So, mm -hmm. so, uh, please please correct me as i as i walk back through it so okay. um when we're talking about motives for actions right and, and he's talking about motives for criminal acts but this could be for anything mm -hmm. um the motive is the motive like actually becomes sort of uh, context dependent on whenever it's being spoken about without it actually being reflective of like the actual motive of the time yeah like where it sort of takes on elements based on the circumstance in which it was spoken. Yeah. Okay. Um, Can you give I an example? Makes, I feel like this makes more sense, too, if you think about it in terms of, like, confession, of, like, okay. religious confession or or something uh. of the like, where it's, like, um, the, the person who is asking you to confess 
has like a list of things for you to confess, right? And it like mm -hmm. has a list of reasons why you would f do those things and feel those things. And when you say you have done those things, they will tell you like, this is what you are or like, this is what you have done. And this is why you think that, hmm. but then it may not be like explicit. It may just be like internalized. Mm -hmm. Like the concept of, of like shame versus guilt that we can we kind of, I feel like we talked about previously of like, I think so. Shame being something that is, has been grafted onto an individual versus guilt as, as, um, like a, a singular emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make a little slightly more sense? I think so. Yeah. Of how is it sort of related to how like when you do an action there's actually many many motivations. There's not any like single thing and so whoever you are speaking to are going to draw out different aspects and color them in different ways. Yes, yeah. Okay. Um and interpret your own feelings in in different forms as well. As yeah, in like but the, it's also like the guilt version. Like in in that act of telling them like before you may not have articulated it to yourself all these different reasons that you did mm -hmm. something um but then like um by speaking it to this person like you are also like acknowledging that this is the reason that you have done it you know mm. and it, like it mm -hmm. like it tints the way that you talk about it after okay yeah like it, it changes your as you speak about it it changes your uh interpretation of your own sort of memory yes yeah yeah i think i explained that correctly um okay but keep in mind um that's also just like how i interpret it and try to explain it that's not it's very complicated and i don't understand it fully but that's worth sort of like keeping in mind um yeah um but then i also wanted to bring up this concept of like physicality as a reflection um and like sort of a space of like um a demonstration of more like abstract concepts mm -hmm. um where like this is this is a quote where uh, we are not entering uh, in a in an age in which the flesh the flesh is reduced to silence, but rather one in which the flesh appears as the correlate of a system or mechanism of power um, that compromise that comprises an exhaustive discursiveness and a surrounding silence installed around this obligatory and permanent confession. Um, so, from what I want to pull from that is the is that like the reflection of of action and of thought and like larger concepts like reflected upon and like embedded within like physicality of like the body okay. um but in this ter in in terms of like how i'm going to talk about it in worm is like physical fighting and like physical violence versus like forms of like communication and and language and like all of that and like psychological um i don't i mean like taunting but like psychological sort of fighting Okay. Um, yeah. Does that, can you see the connection there or should I explain it better? I think explaining it a little bit further would help. Yes. Okay. So like there's, um, what I was talking about before about like, um, how like the violence of like words and like actions and like the mind sort of exist above the violence of the body. Um, the way that I'm sort of reading that concept of, of like the flesh is like reflective of like, of like, um, more like abstract concepts is the violence of the body is sort of like um, a permutation, I guess you could say, of of like a more like a abstract, you know, uh, violence that is spoken and and articulated. Mm. So, so that like, the physical action is always less 
uh, complex and yeah. nuanced than the like internal and verbal yeah, than like the sort intent. Of... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, okay. Like there's mm-hmm. more weight to the intent um, than and like mm. the the and I was kind of equating this concept of motive um, and and intent to like there's more weight to that aspect of violence versus like the physicality right, what of it. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of being like a tool of of um, spurring someone to action or reaction. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. As in like what you do in response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is why I was like thinking that this concept sort of gets in, uh, it, it appears a lot in Worm is that concept of like the intent being heavier than the physicality and a lot of like the large confrontational moments um that becomes like the weightier aspect of them where like Mm -hmm. the physical fighting uh becomes like a byproduct of it almost of the of the intense and stuff yeah 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 um where like uh in these moments of like individuals like speaking back and forth with each other or like taunting or like that sort of some sort of communication like verbal or or um i mean later on it's more like visual but like some level of higher higher communication make like the physical fighting mm-hmm. intelligible right it makes it, mm. it you know all the actions are like suddenly grounded and connected to like an underlying emotion and and some underlying calculation um right that wouldn't have existed if there wasn't that interaction right otherwise it would just kind of be just animals fighting yeah yeah or just forces of nature even mm-hmm. yeah sort of like imposes this even if it's like cruel and even if it's you know, horrible. It's this, uh, like human, like, uh, categorization, I guess, upon it. Mm-hmm. Or like, cause I don't want to say humanity. Cause I feel like humanity is like muddled in, in that definitional sense. Um, cause it can sometimes just be implied to be like the goodness of humans, humanity. Um, but I feel like that weighted intent kind of marks it as like a, uh, like there's, um, sentience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I have quite a few, like, uh, sections that, that I wanted to, like, pull specifically from. Um, okay. So that we can sort of see. Um, but some of the, like, earlier ones with, like, um, Bakura, where she she has, like, her bombs and she has all of her, like, large plan. But it's almost a necessary step for her to, like, monologue about it. And to, like, right. inscribe intention onto the actions instead of them just being... Like, um, even if they are seemingly random or, like, seemingly just for, for the intent and purpose of, of, um, creating terror or, like, establishing rule, like, there's still, like, you know, um, intention, right? There's still motive to them. And they take on that motive in a much more, like, legible way when she articulates it to the... Right, when she speaks about it. Undersiders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then... I guess even almost a little bit earlier with like um, the encounter at the bank with Panacea and Amy and Tattletail and uh, Taylor. This is like one of the first interactions that Taylor has had, like that's confrontational um, on you know, like a multi-individual scale. Right. Um, and and immediately like like in the midst of of you know this sort of like stagnated uh, physical action where where um, Taylor has like her knife up against Panacea's neck and, and panacea is like making all of these like large horrible threats of you know and then um that are like 
promising action and promising intent. Um, that becomes even more so like the back and forth of a fight that, that the physicality like can't like, uh, hold up to, I guess. Does that make sense? Or like there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's even more of like that back and forth. And like you, you get to know them more through their, their like physical threats and what they're willing to offer, um, than just their like physical fighting. Cause that's in the moment where we, we have Tattletail sort of. Um, right. And Tattletail is like the epitome of, of words of as that. weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where like the, the concept of information sharing and, and, you know, sort of. As a uncovering. negative thing. Yeah. And as a negative thing is this, um, this ability to, to, um, uncover the truth is met with this, uh, this, uh, promise or not promise, uh, like a threat of, of violence to distract from it. Um, cause immediately after Tattletail's like, oh, I have all this information. Penacea is back at her, back at her like threat offering. Um, yeah. And then the concept of like threats as the means to like spur action also are, there's a lot of moments that are like in between two that, that, um, I feel like we've traced with, with Taylor, um, that we see her kind of have this like huge flashback in, in the, at the end of spec, I think about where she's like thinking about, she's like, I'm a monster. Cause she like sits and like thinks mm-hmm. through all these different moments of like hand or knee or like the bullet ants and like, um, yeah. the like necrotizing flesh and all of this. And like, she like goes through all of these moments where she has used violence as a means to spur individuals to action, um, or the threat of violence. Although there isn't a lot of like her threatening because she doesn't, she just, she kind of follows through a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. doesn't do a lot of bluffing. But yeah. So even, even if it's just like beyond threats, it's like demonstrative violence, right? It's still like to achieve an end. There's never really any like violence for violence sake. Um, mm-hmm. Where like there's always, and then because there isn't any violence for violence sake, she's always sort of attaching it to this this like uh or kind of you know wrapping it in like uh the instructions of of whatever she expects to happen Mm -hmm. um well i I wonder though because some of it i think i mean i think she has kind of done some violence for violence's sake she just doesn't recognize it as that Mm -hmm. yeah that's true that's a good point we don't really i mean well like in the sense of like i mean every every single act of violence that she's done has had like a reason but some of them were like primarily like the fact that she was doing violence was because she wanted to like I, i'm i'm yeah, like yeah she of, didn't like, necessarily have rachel to. at the first moment mm-hmm. yeah 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 so it wasn't it's... like a oh if i beat her into submission then everything will be cool <laughs> you know it was a fuck you for hurting me i'm gonna make it yeah. so you never hurt me again and i'm gonna kind of take my re- revenge sort of yeah it's sort of like um i feel like it's it's like the expected like aftermath of like emotions mm-hmm. that yeah. she like because she has all these like rationalizations for whatever she's doing, she it's and she doesn't we don't see her like pick apart her emotions very often. I feel like that's one of her sort of um avenues is demonstrative violence, yeah, but yeah, I don't know it's it's also she she implements it as as like a supplement to her to her uh, encouragements um mm-hmm. in terms of like spurring others to action or or when she's like deliberately omitting details mm-hmm. um she's almost like sort of willing that to to occur mm-hmm. yeah um yeah and then so later on we we see it in um a few other like confrontational moments like um with 
Panacea and Jack and Taylor at the at Arcadia High, where she like she she engages with Jack almost immediately um, when she like kind of uh, figures out the situation and kind of listens to him make his whole pitch to Panacea. She like has this whole physical confrontation with him and then turns around and has almost the exact conversation with Panacea that he had. Um, but she just weaponizes her uh, Panacea's guilt differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but both are like kind of proposing this like unraveling of her mind, right? They're 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 kind of working their way around to to initiate violence um, or action, and they they both kind of like lean into the concept of of weaponizing like her fear of herself. Um, yeah, and which which leads to the end of of um, the nines uh, arcs, like their whole little section. But there's always this like um precipitative i don't know if that's the right end to that word but like um like this like prelude to violence is is so very often accompanied by uh a nice little like speech or words like with with coil at the very end like the whole time with coils is like there's all these interactions um yeah that are this everything that they like every time they interact there is that underlying like hint of violence of like if mm-hmm. you don't comply with whatever my plan is then like there will be repercussions and almost on both right. sides um but in the end there's there's this whole monologuing explanation that leads to the end and then he's so very sure that she's not a killer and but there had been this whole like arc by arc where we see her sort of like setting herself up to have that mm-hmm. ability um sort of preparing herself to be one um yeah yeah, I said that was sort of like this, like reverse back. He sort of like reversed um, his thread back onto himself, like the pirouette of like a string ballerina, like being tugged in the other direction. Um, but yeah, it's all these like ending moments that the violence would not have been enough by itself to like justify the action. There has to be like all this talking around it, and, like preceding <laughs> yeah. it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it entirely different, differently colors the. The feeling and in, in aftermath of the action, um, like with Coil, you can imagine if it was a you know so, sort of self-defense kill on the part of Taylor, if he got up and like attacked her, which he probably did in one of his other universes, mm-hmm. and she killed him then, then it would have a different impact on her entirely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's very different, um, like the entire meaning of, of the action can be changed based on the way that they kind of couch it in, in mm-hmm. their explanations, um, which... Yeah, which I feel like that's that was that's what we see with um, Noel, where like at the very end, um, they have to Taylor and Taylor and um, Tattletail like very deliberately omit details of what like uh, what Clock Blocker is going to do and what uh, Sundancer is going to do, um, and they have this whole conversation where they like they sort of talk her around and and distance her from the action of like killing her friend, um, in the way that they sort of like they sort of lace their assurances of this like with encouragement to like engage in this action again um where they they all sort of have to like talk themselves up into it because noelle mm-hmm. is noelle right they there's this you know detachment from her body where it's like the motive of her actions are like discreet from her own wishes and like her mind so it's yeah. like they're almost literally grafted onto her more so than some others um which I thought was a really interesting visual, 
because with her, I feel like it's it's even more like uh, visually apparent. Mm-hmm. This sort of like concept of of uh, actions actions being dictated by a very specific motive that could be hers, but it could be others. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, like, there's this like even even with the, like physical violence, there's all this like taunting that occurs, but it's like they're not really like they're not really taunting Noel. You know, there's because there's this separation of her mind as it sort of like unravels an echidna um yeah yeah so like like, they are taunting noelle's emotions but not like her intellectually at all yeah Um, yeah like just her attention essentially yeah it's sort of like the the process of like of like talking in that in like a spurs action sort of begins to like fall apart with her as she Mm -hmm. sort of starts to fall apart um yeah yeah so then they find like someone else to sort of talk the way around with sundancer but so even if it's not her that they're necessarily speaking to in the end it's still it's still this sort of like physical violence preceded by by linguistic mm-hmm. um yeah and then later on way later on um we see it again like with jack when he's talking um actually most of the most of her, his interactions with um theo do sort of like embody that where He's kind of sets him up um, on his path of herodom, and then like every every conversation that Jack has is like this calculated conversation, um, like with Nilbog and and Bonesaw over the years and all of that. But um, and then Sion. Yeah, I I I think that's interesting of how um, Theo when he's talking to Jack, he's one of the few people that says just stop talking, trying to take away that mm-hmm. weapon. Yeah, he he definitely and he, he does disarm him by by. Telling yeah, him that his weapon is actually useless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was one of the, like, singular moments. You know, Theo has that, he has that ability that that few others have to, like, sort of break through that that tendency. Because um, he does that mm-hmm. to Taylor, too, where he's, like, he, like, calls her out. And he's, like, we can't, what are you doing? Like, I don't understand why you, like, are so, you know, alive at this moment in time. And like you know, kind of awakened by by this high stress situation, um, he can like he can like pick out those particular flaws of in- individual characters. If that makes sense, I don't mm-hmm. know. He's he's sort of an aside, but he's. Um, I think it's because he's so aware of like he can like step. He's he's able to like step back and like see the emotional side of everything, and like yeah, the like larger scale um, ramifications. I think. Rather than like the immediate tactical uh, decision making, mm-hmm. but yeah, but um, some of the later ones that we see in terms of like the very ends of of individual characters um, with uh, like Idolin and then also Sion, both of them are are spurred to, or they're both they're both um, their ending notes of of their battles are not like physical at all. They're both um, yeah dictated by by words that break them emotionally and psychologically right. communicative yeah. yeah yeah um well i mean sionness it's more of like a visual but it's still that that like psych- psychological like taunting yeah it's a communication yeah. yeah 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 um that sort of like pulls you know kind of their kind of cuts their strings at the end i suppose but um with sion too he kind of any actions he takes is is spurred by the instructions handed to him right first by like from kevin and then like 
the nice lady who kind of inherited that responsibility. That's the guy's name, mm-hmm. right? Kevin? Was that his name? Yeah. Yeah, oh. Kevin Norton. <gasps> Yay! Um, <laughs> and then and then from Jack, too, where he's he gives his, you know, lamentation. I mean, it's not really lamentation, but he's just kind of... He has his, his very pointed throwaway lines that, that uh, you know, spur Sion to his apocalyptic violence. Um, and see, they're not really... Neither of them, neither of the phrases that either Eidolon or Cyan receive, like, have in the, any sort of, like, immediate, uh, explicit draw to, like, violence. Because, like, you mm-hmm. need worthy opponents, or, um, I wish I had better company, but I'll take what I get. Um, ironic that you're so boring. You know, I bet you, th- I bet you think you're noble, you're not. You're uglier than any right. of us, Brucky. Like, neither of those things are, like, you should give up, or, you know... You should go out and you know start Murder knocking out, continent. yeah, knocking out well, continents. But like, I mean, he does a little bit. He's like, or Jack does. He says, oh, yeah, uh, "Why not return to the to our the old ways, the brutish ways?" Yeah. Um, but there's still like, I don't know, it, like there isn't this like immediate like demand. I guess it's more of like, yeah, they like set a Rube Goldberg, you know, sort of contraption into motion. I feel like where like. Mm-hmm isn't directly but like also is directly but it's not explicitly yeah instructional but it becomes so yeah i don't know i guess it's just like all the communication becomes like even if it's not spoken or anything it becomes the central guiding force that that physicality of like fighting physical fighting is like this sort of like caboose i guess or like like a sidecar that comes along with it um mm-hmm because so many of them, so many of the opponents that they're fighting, um, have like an exhaustible well of renewal, or like have have this like resolve that they are unable to beat physically. They have to sort of like yeah. find something to break their like rhythm of of fighting or like destruction. Um, mm-hmm. And it always seems to be like speaking or communication. Um, I mean, often it is with um, with uh, Taylor's fights too, um, mm-hmm. with a uh, long at least one at least the time where uh she uses the uh neuter blood caterpillar cro- cockroach um yeah, yeah against mannequin certainly a bit um against jack a couple times for sure uh not against the the endbringers but still no but even in the like surrounding bits of the endbringers like with uh fiercy and like her she's she does a lot of those like she gives like you know those buck up pair human speeches i feel like a couple yeah. of times um, or she just like takes over and, and notices that people aren't communicating and then decides yeah. that she's going to, you know, communicate for everyone. Um, right. And then it, it kind of falls into line where like actions begin taking place and, and everything becomes organized because there's that communication. Um, yeah. So I suppose it's not even, it's not even necessarily a, a spurring to action of violence, just, you know, kind of making sense of, of the like physicality of, of what they're uh, partaking in mm-hmm. yeah but i don't know i don't know if i have any sort of ending bits to it but it just seems like um, there's a lot of examples of yeah communication being paired with or proceeding or otherwise being an integral factor in violence yeah yeah and it's so much so that it's like there is like the violence is is like implied when they speak you know what i mean mm-hmm like that that it, it there's this like 
thin surface and it's like beneath that waiting like when um mm-hmm. all the thoughts like that accord has where it's like every moment he mm-hmm. has that in the back of his mind or on the forefront of his mind it feels like that is the way that they speak to each other is that there is that mm-hmm. like potential all the time so do you do you think this is applying also to normal speech in some ways or is this that we're always like three steps away from maybe violence <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know if I like that implication. <laughs> it's terrifying implication. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I hope not. I mean, certainly with, like, when the state acts, right? That's for sure. Because yeah, with yeah. anything that the state asks you uh, asks you to do, it's always with the implication of, like, yes, you could resist, but you would not su- succeed. We will... Yeah, it, yeah. The, 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 the power authority means... I can make you do it. Yeah. Um, right. In in one at one point or another. Uh I don't know how much that applies to uh humans now in a society where we where we don't allow violence, but yeah, maybe yeah. maybe but the fact that we don't allow present. violence is also wrapped up in violence. Yeah, see like I feel like it's even more so um uh-huh. than like the immediate like expected because because it is, you know, seemingly prohibited. It but still, like, very present. Um, okay. I feel like that, that like, underlying violence is, is like, felt even more. Um, mm. Because it's unpredictable, you know? When it's prohibited, it's unpredictable because it's not built into, like, the, like, the the way that, that people interact with each other. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like, there there isn't as much, like, there's not social scripts to, like, expect violence, you know? Like, we don't have duels. Mm-hmm. So, like, the violence is more... Yeah, have you ever been when a with a a kid when a kid picks up a knife? Ah, oh, terrifying. And they they just like won't put it down. It's horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying yeah. because you're like, okay, you're either gonna hurt yourself or you're gonna hurt me, and I can't just like walk over there and take it from you because you're gonna hurt me. Yeah. But you just don't seem to understand that this is dangerous. Please, for the love of God, put down the knife. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible, especially if they get like any emotions at all during it. Yeah. See, Ugh. like just the the combination of like. Like, you know, emotional flux and, like, physical violence is just a bad egg waiting to hatch, you know? Yeah. Wait, did you say a bad pig waiting to hatch? No, no, egg. Egg. Oh, okay. I was like, that's that's a interesting clarencism <laughs> that I wouldn't have expected. Um, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so we don't know what to do with that situation at all. Yeah. Um, and that makes it all the more... I feel like Kenneth Burke suggested the concept of, like, reevaluating the way that we speak and exist in society, um, which is good, Uh but very vague um, advice. Yeah, yeah. Did he he leave any, like, directions for that? Um, I mean, the whole, like, book is about the concept of war of words. um, Uh Uh-huh. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I haven't read the entirety of it, so I can't say for sure. Well... That reminds me of just um, of how I, I, this is another thing I think we've we've talked about before, but how uh, ingrained um, patriarchal uh, how how much patriarchy has influenced our conception of groups and how they mm, yeah can be formed and led, mm-hmm. and how we view all of society naturally as hierarchical when it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. It could be collaborative, yeah, um, with more stuff between equals rather than like like we view um the natural view of a group is that there must be a leader right however 
it totally could just be a collaborative team where everyone mm. has an equal say in part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's just collaboration. Yeah. And we've been like taught uh, that it, it is natural mm-hmm. because it has yeah. become naturalized in our like, right. social conscious, yeah. social, like a yeah. societal consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I did some research for, um, I, I, would, I was telling a, a friend that misogyny still exists because they didn't believe me. <laughs> Yikes. And uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, and so there, there was research, you know, of how the mixed, uh, of, of observing um, all female, all male, and mixed groups. And they found that um, in the female groups, um, when it was all women, they all basically spoke all about equally and um, spoke to the group more often. Mm-hmm. Rather than two individuals, uh, while I'm pretty sure in both the all male and the mixed groups, it was me- individual men that would speak a lot longer than everyone else. Yeah. Um, ah. Just not. Sounds like class. Great. Sounds like history class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was so something that was so disheartening to me is when I would be in, in my feminism courses, and still, even in there, it was men that spoke the most. Mm-hmm. It's like. And at the same time, I was, you know, partially, I was, I was guilty as well. But yeah, yeah. At the very least, I tried to stay silent um, and and give an appropriate space. But yeah, but I live in like fear terrible. of that. It's just like accidentally taking up too much space in a conversation. Yeah. See. Yeah. It's it's. A, I feel it's a horrible... like I I feel like I have done that previously. Unknowingly. No. 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 You just. You just. You've. You've. You were socialized to feel that way, but no, not at all. Yeah. No, it, no, no. Uh, I mean, okay, at the same time, like, I mean, I definitely understand why women feel that way because, like, they get punished mm-hmm. for speaking too much because, like, they will be viewed as speaking too much, but it's totally, like, arbitrary and unfair and, like, not actually tied to any... They, they are not speaking out of, out yeah, of turn. Yeah. Like, that's such a ridiculous thing to say. Um, like, okay, like, the fact is that guy, you know, that guy that won't shut up in class mm-hmm. is a guy. It's always yeah. a guy. So, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, this is a this is a tangent. <laughs> but I'm I'm mad about this thing. It's a reasonable thing to be mad about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um okay, anything mm. else you wanted to explore on this this topic? Um I think that's it. I think I covered the majority of what I was thinking. Okay, let's get on to our interlude bit, um where we have a fun game. Hurrah. It's called "Who's That Parahuman?" As a la, a la the 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 Pokemon, the Pokemon. Pokemon. Um, did you ever did you ever watch the watch the Indigo League Pokemon series, the the original? Um, no. It's not very good. Alas. Um. Well, I it's guess good, it's good for, then. for kids, huh? If it's not very good, it's good that you didn't watch. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's not. It's not very good. Actually, I will be honest. Most of the Pokemon movies are not very good. Hmm. It, most of the Pokemon. TV media in general. If if there's any good Pokemon stuff, I would love to see it. Please send me a me- Okay, actually, Detective Pikachu was not bad. But, um, yeah. Is it more of like, um, I, like a, a game that you play with the cards? Um, well, it's a, it's a video game. Oh, okay. If you weren't aware. Um, I'm very surprised that you weren't. Well, I know um, about the one where you, like, run around. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, well, no, not Pokemon Go. The original Pokemon games Oh, are, that's a video game? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. They were on uh, Game Boy and uh, DS and, mm. and all those, all the handheld okay. Nintendo yeah, yeah, yeah. things. Um, really good. A little bit. Uh, they had their flaws, but they were very solid games, and I played them a lot. Hmm. Um, anyway, 
All right. So for this game, right, as you all know, in um, in spec, in the last two chapters, particularly, Taylor loses the ability to recognize people, um, and uh, she just starts calling them by short descriptions. And there's sort of like a, a quiz aspect to it, where uh, a first-time reader might not immediately know who everyone is, but um, upon a reread, or if you were paying really, really close attention to all the descriptions, you might uh, know who everyone is. Yes. And uh, so I went down and I wrote them all down. I actually think they're, I, I don't know if I missed a lot or if there was just less than I thought. This seems like um, a lot. Well, I mean, you'd be surprised. It's like some of them are repeats and I I, I don't think it's as many as, you, as you'd think. Mm, okay. Um, but okay, so I'm going to just say the description. Sometimes it's with a longer piece of text. Sometimes it's a short one. And uh, you tell me which one it is, okay? Okay. Which pair human it is. And maybe we should count them up. Uh, I don't have any clickers or anything. All right, anyway, let's get started, okay. all right? Are you ready? ready? The child surgeon. Um, Bonesa? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, dog girl. Uh, Rachel. Tentacle girl. I, hmm, hmm? I don't know. Tentacle girl. That seems very nondescript. I don't know. Who? Who is that? Uh, it's Sveta. Oh, oh, yes, okay. Okay, so that's one wrong. Okay, um, I should probably count that too, okay. Uh, man in gold and black armor, also a leader. Man in gold and black armor. That one, is that one Chevalier? Or mm-hmm. not? Okay, okay, yes. Um, blonde girl with a phone, she's a friend, uh-huh. and she's with other members of the Undersiders. Yes, Tattletail. Yes. A uh, girl who disappears with a gray mask, uh, keeping Taylor company. Imp. That's such a wonderful mm-hmm. thing too, where she's just like walking around yes. with her in New York. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, portal, portal man. Portal man. Um, that's the door maker. Yes. Right. Uh, girl with mangled hand and her partner riding a stuffed lizard. Uh, that's uh, foil and parian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ding ding. Um, a woman covered in a skin of force fields, protecting people with massive shards of force field. This one. I feel like this is someone I should know who it is, but I don't remember. She also has a big horn. Big horn? I don't remember the name of this person. Who is if you can remember, like, a context in which we did see her, or anything else about her. Hmm. Horn. I don't know. All right. Uh, that was Narwhal. Narwhal. Oh, I don't think Narwhal. I would have been able to recognize her. Oh, fair enough. Mm. She's uh, covered in purple force fields, and it's very, it's like skin-tight force oh, fields. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, like, seven feet tall, too. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, a girl with, with flying armor... And bright yellow hair, um, who descended and was ready to help the apparently wounded girl um, when Taylor made her parry and scream. Um, and then uh, she sang. Mm, this is Canary. Yep. Uh, okay. Um, a woman I recognized from Brockton Bay threw the phone aside, then shot it with a shotgun before changing the gun to something else and opening fire on Scion. Ah, uh, yes. That's uh, Miss Militia. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, took... Then it took the man in gold and black armor a second to get a chance to do the same. Here, uh, one of his underlings, a cape who was named after a siege weapon, took his boss's lead. A cape who was named after a siege weapon? Who's, na- who's that? Name I will be honest, I don't remember. <laughs> siege weapon. I don't remember who that is. I don't either. The, uh, I'm trying to remember his underlings. I know Usher is an underling. Revel was, but she's dead. Mm. Um, and I, I really struggle to remember anymore. But so if you if you know who that was, please uh, yeah, send us a message. <laughs> okay. The girl rattled off words, numbers, and responses in response to questions asked by a woman with body armor and a bristling ponytail. Monstrous capes moved to flank her, protecting her. So who are the girl with uh, who's rattling off numbers and That's who Dinah. is a woman with body armor? Okay. 
and a bristling po- ponytail. Ponytail. Hmm. Monsters capes move to flank her. Capes. Oh, we can is come that, back to oh, that one in a second. That's fault line. Yes. Yes. Oh, hurrah. Okay. Uh, um, a red-haired woman in a black skin-tight outfit turned, aiming her gun at a wall, which uh, then ricochets and hits uh, Narwhal in the stomach. Same group. Oh, same group. Oh, no, I don't remember some of the people in that group. Um, red I don't know. I don't remember the names of Fault Line's group. That was Shamrock, uh, who uh, has uh, powers of luck. Mm. Um, and then a fat, bald man stepped forward, blocking my way with his body. Oh, that's great. And then a young man with orange skin, a tail, and bright pink hair did the same. Is that the one, his friend, who's the one? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't remember the second half he, uh, of his name. His name, it's like it's an amphibian. An amphibian? Yeah. Oh, I don't know who that is anymore then. His name is Neuter. He's a newt. Oh, oh. Neuter. A newt yes. is an amphibian? I think so, isn't it? Oh. Isn't it? I don't know. I, I only always, know it in context it... of Money Python. I didn't know it was a real animal. Yes, it is. It is. Yes, it's a kind of salamander. Yes. Oh, okay. And salamanders are amphibians. Neuter. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the girl is still in the same group. The girl who got more powerful as she t- lost touch with the world, who could fashion her own realities, then bring mm, them into our world. That's Labyrinth. Yep. Um, who then creates a door and then uses her, uh, Taylor uses her partner to help smash it, which I don't know if the partner gets any more description, but that's all I found. Who else is left in Fault Lines Crew? I feel like I don't remember all the de- the individual people from Fault Lines Crew. Yeah, of course. Of course. Maybe it might help to remember who helped or open portals along with Labyrinth. Oh. Because that's what's happening here. The um the one who does all the, like, scooping of things. Oh, what is that man's name? The scooping of things? Is that what you said? Yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Can you remember his name? It's like the action. It's like Swipe or something. But not Swiper. Or like a scrub, scrub, oh, oh. Scrub, yes. yeah, there you go. All right, excellent. Um, I, the boy uh, who made hands and faces out of surrounding materials. A teammate, a friend. Ah. He'd worked on me with something important. That's Golem. He worked with me on something important. Yep, Golem. Yay. Uh, the power booster to give myself more control, to enhance the song, to enhance that reality warper and everyone else I'd chosen. The power booster. Power booster. Who does power boosting? I don't remember who is a power booster. Is that someone Do you remember anywhere to... where the context might be? I don't expect you to remember the name of this one, but... I feel like it's somebody from the PRT. Or, like, from the Protectorate. Is it? Is that your final answer? That sounds like it's wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't remember anyone else. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Who's the power booster? Okay, uh, I believe that was two from the Yangban. Or maybe one. I'm not sure. One or the other. Oh, oh. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, their power was split up among yeah, the young bond, yeah. and they all boosted each other. Uh, but this time, uh, Taylor has just picked her, picked them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the girl who made her dreams into projections. Her dreams into projections. That's the, um, this is after she's gathered everybody, right? Is that? Uh, basically, yeah. Is that, um, one of the ones from The Travelers? Is that? Uh-huh, uh-huh. It starts with, like, a G. Yep, yep. I don't remember what it is. <laughs> I feel like uh, there's an Related, okay. Related to creation in some sense. Mm. Or birth, maybe. Genesis? Is that yep. her name? Ah. Yep, yep. Uh, along with the boy, her ex-friend who could turn anything into a bullet. Her ex-friend who can turn anything into a bullet. Who else is her ex-friend? Is that is that Trickster? But I thought mm. he, well, he, he, can't turn he things switches bullets. things around. Yeah. Who turns things into bullets? Did everybody in the Travelers break up? Or, like, did some of them remain friends? Basically. No, no. None of them are friends. No. 
I, well, I think Sundancer could be friends with Genesis still. It, real names, but... Hmm. What is their other one who wandered off? Cody? Does Cody do that? I don't remember what his power is. No. Oh, who else it, is left? He was, uh, he had the time travel thing, but no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who had the bullets? Who had the bullets? I don't remember any other person in their group. Oh, that's Oliver. That's, that's so sad. Wow, you can remember Oliver better than Ballistic. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Ballistic, yes. Okay. Uh, well, that's too bad for Ballistic. He was so forgettable. Wow. Well, okay, well, not forgettable, like, but he certainly, yeah. I know of, like, I know all of these individuals based on the way that their name tastes and sounds. Mm. And so mm-hmm. it's like the letters in all of their descriptions don't feel the same way as, like, their names. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's a tricky one. Um, the man who could connect things. So the movement of one would move the other. I stepped through and he was ready for me. He moved a short iron rod and the partner rod caught me by the neck, pinning me to a wall. And then Imp disarms him. Connect things. Who can connect things? If you can remember the context in which he's appeared before, then uh, I'll get you I'll get, I'll give you full credit. I don't, I'm not going to count partials. I feel like I'm really bad at remembering context. Oh, no. You wouldn't remember his name, I don't think. Someone who can move. Is this one of the ones who was, like, helping to beat the, like, time inbringer? Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, Like, one yes, of the, yes. like, Brazilian or, like, South American heads mm, of wasn't, wasn't South American, but it was present at that battle. Or, like, one of the, um, like, Tanda, I think? Was it one of them? Yep, yep, okay. Oh, okay I'll, I'll okay. say that's, a, that's enough for, to count for me. Yes, this is Safara, uh, and uh, he's the one that anchored... Uh, everyone to an object yeah. and anchored okay, everyone okay. to Konsu as Tant Konsu yeah. teleported around. Um, and Taylor used him to twist everyone through all the portals. Um, Sion was in the midst of fighting a monstrous hulking dragon man and the warlord Yay. with the death-eating shadow. Um, that's um, Lung and um, Lord Nog, yes? Yep. Yay! Perfect. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Uh, <laughs> One metal-skinned boy I'd salvaged from the ruins of a recent fight had been molded into a steel-skinned companion. Had been molded into a steel skin companion. This was to uh, when when she started uh, mocking um, Scion with the uh, changers and stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Um, yes, that's Weld. Mm-hmm. Yes. Ah. Okay. A- illusions crafted of smoke. A, uh, one. So one woman uh, crafts illusion out of smoke, and then a space warper who could mold buildings uh, was making faces. I don't remember the smoke, but I know that the other one is Vista. Yes. The other one's Vista. That's right. Who's the one who crafts things out of smoke? Definitely more obscure. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know that one. That one was either Nyx or Nyx. Um, oh. Who, uh, oh, okay. Yes, who, who makes illusions out of smoke. That's right. Uh, I think it's, it might also be nauseous. I'm not sure. Um, I had the girl who made dreams into projections. This is still Genesis. Mm-hmm. And a clone hybrid of two of the killers capable of making poisonous, noxious illusions out of the landscape. Poisonous, noxious illusions. Oh, um... So, you already kind of had half. This is another version of them. Yes. We had half of them? Of these two? Yeah, I honestly, I don't know who the other half would be. Hybrid of the two killers. It's one well, of the... Well, can you at least... Hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Just yeah, just say what you're going to say. Um, It's two of the nine, right? Yeah. It's like one it's of those a, that uh, So, it's have. a clone hybrid... Yes. Okay. Um, I'll give you that one. I will give you half credit on. I don't actually know. I obviously one half is Nyx. I don't know what the other half is. Okay. Okay. Hmm. The boy with the changing faces. Boy with the change. That's Oliver. Yes. That's right. <gasps> uh, <laughs> one tinker. 
one tinker came through a doorway as if to survey the situation. Heavy armored boots rang as they stuck the glassy blasted disaster area. Um, the man emerged and he cast a glance around. This is after Sion is dead. Um, that's, is and that he the points his weapon at one point. That's right. Uh, the individual reached the edge of the crowd, a man bearded with a small entourage of people wearing white. Mm, that's teacher. Yes. Right. Um, so uh, then uh, Taylor in the aftermath, or Capri at this point, is uh, confronted by two women on a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, two women on a dog. Well, one must be Rachel, right? Yeah. And then presumably perhaps the other one is Tattletail? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll count that as one. Um, she had a hand extended, something dangled from one hand, a short chain, a black tube with a red button. I'm not going to... Th- what I want you to identify is what is that tube with a red button. Tube with a red button? Um, is that... This is a... Is that um, mm-hmm. one of uh, Bakuda's, like, nope. latent bombs? Uh, this is Tattletail reaching it out um, and offering it to Taylor, but she doesn't recognize it. Oh, it's it. her little uh, spray thing with the eyes and the That's right. Uh, it's her pepper, pepper spray. spray. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay, uh, we only have uh, a couple left. Okay. A man in blue and white who zigzagged around everything, around anything I put up. Around anything. A man in blue and white. Who moves, who zigzags? I don't remember who's in blue and white. He's also in the air, specifically. The air. Is that legend? Yep. Uh, and uh, my next hit was that he did shoot a couple lasers, mm, too. Okay, so. yeah. Well, actually, I think it specifically just says blasted, not, not like, lasers. Yeah. So, a little bit harder than that. Um, this one is... It, there's, there's barely any more detail of this character than, than what I'm about to say. Um, a regal woman in blue. A regal woman in blue. Is that is that Alexandria? No. In context to legend? Just somebody in No, blue? much, much more minor. Much, like, fleeting glimpse. Huh. Walks around in blue. That's regal. Oh, is this Lady Photon? No, no. No. Oh, because she, did, she, didn't minor. she die? She died earlier. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Or... Because I feel like Taylor has that thought of, like, Revel and Lady Photon. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah. I don't know. who Who's this regal woman? Yeah, uh, the regal woman in blue is the woman in blue. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the ruler of, of one planet. Yeah, the ominous um, one. That uh, Taylor spends about, like, two minutes uh, taking over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it was a pretty, pretty short one. Okay, only uh, two left. No, a little bit more than two. Okay. Uh, a man with flying, flying with great skeletal bat wings, a kind of lace or filigree of bones stretched between se- segments, mm. rose into the air to intercept this me. This is Marquis. Yep. Yeah. A girl with healing powers that had been placed deliberately next to a living pool of flesh with multiple heads of golden oh, hair. It's horrifying. The healer's hands were covering her face, but she didn't step away. <sighs> That's um, Panacea and Victoria. Yes? Yep. Yeah. Mm. Okay, uh, final final section. This is um, this is uh, right before stepping through the doorway. Uh, the clairvoyant, the the passenger takes hold of the clairvoyant and shows Capri some images. Mm-hmm. Uh, the autopilot took control of the clairvoyant's fo- focus. It turned my attention to faces. A blonde girl. That's Tattletail. A girl with brown red hair. Yes. And then Rachel. Um, the girl with a horn mask that I attacked so ineffectually with a knife. And that's Imp. Others. A red-haired girl in another world, shouting to people as she ordered them through a building project. Oh, that is that a girl Charlotte? who was standing. Yes, huh. uh, a girl who was standing outside in the rain in another world. Kids peering through the window behind, uh, behind her. Girl standing outside in the rain in another world. Kids peering through the window behind her. Well, actually, uh, you were wrong with the first one. I was actually. wrong with the first one. But you were close. 
Um, so let me read it again. A red-haired girl in another world shouting to people as she ordered them through a building project, and then a girl who was standing outside in the rain in another world, kids peering through the window behind her. Is the first one Sierra and the second one Charlotte? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. All right. Uh, and that that is the whole game. Wow. Uh, there was one more, but it was like so obviously the Fairy Queen is not even... Yeah. Um, so I think um, there was about 50 total, and you got about 40 of them correct. I'm surprised. Yeah, you did pretty good. <laughs> I'm glad I could recognize all of those people. You know, I bet just like almost everyone listening, though, having listened to We've Got Warm, and by virtue of that, having like read it and like had a lot of other attention mm. probably was like yelling the whole time yeah, for yeah. most of them but <laughs> um but uh I, yeah uh, you did a really good job actually and uh, you only had trouble with the ones that like i expected to have trouble yeah, so yeah um okay uh is there anything else we want to do for this little interlude here oh no i made a lot of points but they're, they're mostly just like me wanting to talk about fancy things so it's okay <laughs> Okay, uh, everyone at home, ask uh, Clarence about his fancy things, and he will he will share about yes. them. They look they do look very fancy. All right, on to your essay. That's right. Um, okay, so my my essay bit. Um, so this is kind of cobbled together between a lot of thoughts I've had and an essay a, a long time ago, and I'm sort of switching the focus of that essay, which was uh, for a class. Um, but what I want to focus on is names and identity and names and how they identify identity essentially Mm -hmm. so um for so so one thing i i find very fascinating that i've been thinking about or for a while is um how we don't choose our names typically yeah and how that is so so strange uh like it's already strange to me that we don't get to pick our bodies in the first place i mean i know that's just reality but like that's weird that like who we are is something that is decided for us Mm -hmm. but besides that our birth names we stick with them for our entire lives for the most part it's it's like there's obvious exceptions for for people and there's other exceptions like people you know change their last name upon marriage or or not um but it's a rare thing it's not the expectation and it's so strange because when you think of a person right and you think of their name it like fits them right mm-hmm. obviously that's because your conception of the name has been like defined by your relationship to the person but still right there's times where you go up to a person and you're like oh yeah you totally are a steve right you totally are a, a greg yeah, it's like a right? self-fulfilling prophecy sort of thing where it's like yeah they have yeah and so yeah mm-hmm. i i did some research uh for this essay originally there was a um a study done in in Sweden at this one university on elementary school kids and how they identify with their names. It's three hundred pages, so if you wanna if you wanna hear that, if you wanna read that, skim through it. Uh, at me, send me an email, um, and I will I'll send you a link. It's actually really interesting, just even just to, to skim through. Um, and the same thing for another one, which uh, I was also interested in usernames because usernames are one of the few names that we do choose. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's tons of different reasons that people would choose usernames. You know, they could just be jokes. They could just be, you know, whatever the, the first thing we came up with was. Um, sometimes they are requests. They're phrases. They are epithets. They are curses. They are references. And um, I think all of them are used to build an identity in an online space and sort of declare, like, who you are. And sort of it also... I'm going down a rabbit hole right now, yeah, but yeah. Um, your username affects how you interact with an online space and like how you view yourself in it, right? Yeah. So if yeah. you have a very offensive name, right, and like if your name is fuck off, right, you're going to 
be more likely to tell people to fuck off. You're going to be more likely to, like, allow yourself to be derisive. Um, but if your name was, like, you know, hopeful sheep or something, yeah, like very sets, cute, sets you're a lot more likely. of yeah, how you would act and how you, it's, like, what piece of yourself mm-hmm. you, like, kind of display in that moment, in that particular right. community. Right. Yeah. I think in usernames, it's even more, it's more obvious than any other name because, like, it's it's the only part of your identity that people see, right? Yeah. Um, they they see your they see your dialogue and they see your name and maybe your profile picture, but that's it. And the profile picture is like nothing; it's just color. So, um, like if if hopeful sheep posts a a, a diatribe, you know, uh, about how they they hate society and they hate you know these particular kind of people or something, people are gonna be like, oh, that's so ironic. Yeah, yeah. That a person named hopeful sheep, and that colors how they they talk to this person. And uh, but someone named fuck off if. Uh, they even if they're nice, you know, they're probably more likely to be interpreted in a negative way. And these things sort of feed in on themselves, right? If you are uh, being, if your username is fuck off, and people keep interpreting your words as being a dick, you're more likely to be a dick back, mm-hmm. etc. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this, I think, is just a really more obvious example of how um, our names both influence how we speak ourselves and influence how other people react to us, which also influences how we view ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, and to, to go back to birth names, all, all, names have meanings, right? And names have um, other... When, when you when you meet someone with a name, you're comparing them to everyone else that had that same name or a similar name. Yeah, yeah. Just because that's how... that's The name already has associations. Yeah, you're like, you can't walk up and, and to meet someone if you, like, with completely blank slate ever. Because there, there's right. always like it's, some it's sort impossible. of yeah. attachment to particular names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so, like you know, when I say that though, it's not like, like the the name like Matthew originally meant like gift of gift of God, mm-hmm. right? But like I'm pretty sure that's that I don't I don't know linguistics. I don't know how literally that is. Um, but it's taken on. Yeah, like yeah. we don't uh, when we meet someone named Matthew, we're not thinking oh gift of God, right? Yeah. It's not like no, we're thinking of all the other Matthews, right? However, those original Matthews may have been, you know, thought of that way, yeah. right? Or, um, you know, if if your name is uh, is Bella, right? In um, if you're speaking to English speakers who don't know any Spanish, right? You're just Bella. That's your name, right? Mm-hmm. But in a Spanish-speaking place, your name is is uh, basically just means pretty or beautiful, yeah. right? Yeah. And that understanding of that name, I think, has sort of through just cultural osmosis transferred into how we view um people like that in or people named Bella even in the English speaking world, mm-hmm. right? Where that I think that name has that connotation at least a little bit, even if it doesn't literally have the connotation or the, the denotation here. Um and that that study that I was talking about about elementary school kids uh also uh, came up with a lot of the same conclusions that a lot of kids really do start identifying with their name, mm-hmm. even though it's not something they chose, even though it is totally arbitrary and they could change at any point, um, they do. And um, I just find that very, very interesting. And yeah. I also find it very interesting when people choose to change, right? They um, they either like legally change their name or just declare a name or they pick a middle name instead, mm-hmm. right? That is exercising some sort of control over it. Or they favor a nickname over, over another Um I, I think I, I read also that people really identify by their nicknames like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think more so than than their normal names. Yeah, because it's it's there's a there's a level of like intimacy I think with a nickname that mm-hmm. that a name doesn't have or like a formalized name doesn't have like 
the difference between, you know, uh, being called like your full name or like if your whole family calls you baby or something like that, you know, like there's, there's a level of like familiarity, I think. Um, yeah. And it, I think it's also like more likely to be a little bit more accurate, right? And by having mm, yeah. um, a little bit of accuracy to it, that gives you an anchor even more to hold on to it. Yeah. I guess because it's kind of like nicknames usually are like after you have popped out and like are a person now. They're like, maybe we mm-hmm. should adjust this a bit. Yeah. 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 Um, like, yeah, it, when people shorten names, mm-hmm. right? Like if your name is Alexander, right? Are you more of an, are you an Alexander or are you an Alex? Yeah. Or are you a Xander, right? Or are you a Lex, right? Like each one of these things uh, what is a slightly different flavor of that name. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a little bit, uh, okay, maybe I'm, I'm mixing up things too much now, but it's a little bit like hailing, where it also depends on the person doing it and how they're yeah, identifying yeah, you and you sort of become a slightly different person. Mm-hmm. There's, because um, <clears throat> it's like when someone's like speaks you, you know, uh, into like recognition or whatever, right? It's not, it's not necessarily that they are like seeing you in your entirety. It's them seeing mm-hmm. you as they have conceptualized you as they like so Uh if you you go visit a friend who you haven't seen in like five years they still have that conception of you from five years ago right so when they're saying hello it's like that is the person that they are imagining and you might sink back a little bit towards that yeah yeah person yeah 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 um that's actually uh thank you for saying that the um the the idea that you can't encompass a whole identity is it's pretty integral to when i'm going to be talking about cape identities Uh uh, in a second but um, to continue a little bit with just just some other um, observations and studies I was looking at, I don't know exactly. Do you know what this approach is called when you like look at just research, a social research, and apply it to a text um, or use it to understand a text better? It seems like it's adjacent to psychoanalysis and the and yeah, that, I would like, say psych because that's what I did um, with uh, about grief a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like yeah, it's like a subsect of of psychoanalysis. I feel like. Yeah. I don't know. There's also just like, um, just like, the, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like some literary theory is just like people kind of walking around in like different social sciences and like picking up things to like use. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think so too. Um, so just, just some more observations from different studies. Um, and uh, I, I think I'll, I'll try to link all these things in um, the description. So the uh, a quote from one, uh, the social attitude that a name triggers and its influence on one's identity may affect the individual's self-perception and development of traits, which eventually may be realized in his or her facial ap- appearance even. So mm. it can go all the way to yeah. like your actual facial appearance, right? If you have a sporty name, right? If your name is Chad, right? Yeah, You're yeah. probably more likely to, uh, to actually end up doing more athletic things just because like that's what everyone expects you to do. Yeah, you um, sort of another like one placed on um, a track, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or at least nudged along, mm-hmm. right? You got little bumpers, maybe. Yeah. Um, in one study, uh, suggested that there's a positive relationship between uncommon names and neuroticism. Interesting. Um, that one also might have been racist, but we're not entirely sure. Mm. Uh, so I'll link it and and you know maybe um, put a little disclaimer on that yeah. too because it's a little old. Um, and they were studying. Uh, across classes, and so people who are poorer uh, and and of different um, minorities and stuff were probably more cla- more likely to be classified as having uncommon names. Yeah, and you know by virtue of being poor, mm. more likely to be neurotic. But it could be possible. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like causation. it's confounding. Yeah, 
to associate yeah. particular names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in general, they are typically tied to names. I mean, uh, gender, social class, nationality, they, they do identify at least mm, some yeah. of those things, yeah. right? If you, if you identify yourself as a very, with a very, very fancy name, right? Um, like if your name was like, I don't know, Theodosia or something, right? Yeah, something People would be like, oh, fancy. you're rich then. Okay. Yeah. You came from, from a high class. If you've class, got like right? the designation of like blah, 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 the third or like the seventh right. or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, of course, nationality, like where is the name from? And of course, gender, like it, a lot of these things are, are very easily wrapped up mm-hmm. in, in names. Um, and all of these, of course, influence how people perceive you and what they expect of you. Right. Um, and that in turn has an ex- impact on um, in- internal perception. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's one thing. My name being Matthias, I definitely view myself as more special. That is the consequence of that. Like, I'm not joking. Like it's it's <laughs> it's unintentional, but I'm like, wow! I've met one other person with my name, yeah. and they didn't. It wasn't the same either. Uh, clearly, I'm the protagonist. <laughs> don't listen to that voice, y'all. The it's not good. Singular being. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that was always like a thing. As like a child, is mm-hmm. like I had like a story to tell about my name oh, and yeah, like how yeah. my mother oh, picked course. it. Um, oh, yeah. And it wasn't just like oh, it was like a from this list. It was like from a specific movie and a specific person all of this like mm. it like became like a thing and everyone was like oh you have such a pretty name blah 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 <laughs> but right yeah which i feel like dictated my like behavior i think right based on the response of yeah. others right if you're named after someone and you know it yeah. of course you're gonna like react to that one way or another probably almost certainly try to be more like them or maybe mm. you're disappointed that you're not like them or maybe you're gonna try to distance yourself although i was named after a horse whisperer so like I didn't really That's like. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. It's a high bar, isn't it? It's so high. You think you can? You think you can sur- surpass it? I hope not. I have kind of a Do fear. Do you think of you horses. can become a horse yeller? No, I'm frightened of. Like they are a large being, and they're not like cows. That's true. You know, I've been thrown off way too many horses. And... <sighs> okay. <laughs> I fell off a horse and hit my head once as a kid. Really? And that made me who I am today. Oh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. See, it's like, you know, one of those, like, changing moments of your life to get thrown from mm-hmm. a horse. Anyway. All of that said is just basically to say the names are significant and they affect who we are and how other people see us. Yes. And um, are worthy of much analysis, even if, like, we're not looking at the literal meaning of a name. Um, I, I mean, you can definitely do that, especially if an author is choosing it. That's almost always intentional. But, like, it, you know, in one sense, I don't think, like looking at the deep linguistic meanings of Taylor is going to, you know, yeah, reveal that yeah. much, right? However, you know, the fact that it's like a normal name, I think, is significant, right? Mm. Yeah, because I feel like it um, speaks to, like, in terms of, like, the, like, more common place type name. Because mm-hmm. I feel like Taylor's, like, a... Particularly at that time, too, it's, like, a fairly well-used name, I guess you could say. Um, sure. I feel like that, that like, unique uniqueness and, like, that, that you... Um, enjoy. <laughs> um, I feel like mm-hmm. she doesn't necessarily like uh, open herself up to that concept because she's like, there are a lot of tailors to be around, you know? Like, what sets her apart from sure. everyone else? <clears throat> right. And then she like becomes a pair of human and like takes on, she gains that confidence, I feel like, when, mm-hmm. she, when she like makes herself, you know, unique in her own particular way. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, so, okay, so let's let's dive into worm and name. Mm-hmm. So first, I just want to, like, outline a bunch of places where it is significant, right? Um, 
the, my friend Elliot, who helped uh, work on this, she pointed out how almost every single character has at least two names, right? I mean, even down to non-capes, like Pigot, right? Yeah. Um, she was named Lady and also Director Pigot. And not every single one, right? Danny is still Danny, but still. Yeah, but it's, um, but like they're known, even if they don't have, you know, distinct and discrete separate, separate names, like even just like in different contexts, they ha- they do don um, different identities, right? Like Danny is Danny, but mm-hmm. then also dad, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's true for almost almost everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we see how picking names is a pretty significant part of any parahuman. You know, Taylor sort of agonizes it over it at the beginning before having it chosen for her. We hear how... Uh, for for the heroes, it's also a big intentional thing, right? Clockblocker having to announce it, right? Mm-hmm. Because uh, they they would use that as a thing to control him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a sort of declaring of his identity at the time too. Um, uh, Yamada has a conversation about names with everyone in her interlude. Um, same thing with uh, Valkyrie there at the end. Uh, Valkyrie is another, or Classic mm-hmm. Winnie is another example, right, of yeah. just giving names to people. Mm-hmm. Um, another one. Um, more on on the title side, but the, any talk with Nilbog, right? Of like, w- what are you? Are you a king? Are you a queen? What is your role? Yeah, yeah. is also significant to him because more he can in the declare childish it. sense. But yes, yeah, yeah exactly. There's something you can choose, right? Who are you in this mm-hmm. moment, right? Um, and Taylor, it like intentionally thinks, I'm going to put myself on equal footing, right? Instead of taking the same places as Jack, I'm going to be a queen just like mm-hmm. him. Or yeah. So uh, there's yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff about how. Um, names affect us. I, Taylor spends a lot of time at the end trying to define who Taylor is, right? Picking that name over the others. And at this point, I'm mixing up a little bit names and identity um, because where you choose to be one identity, you also choose to be one name. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which I feel like it gets kind d- of like d- blended when names are used to designate different pieces of their identity. Right, right. Yes, yeah. Like... Yeah, they're, they're kind of inextricable, inextricable, and I'm going to end up sort of talking about identity when I'm talking about mm-hmm. names. So that's just a consequence. Um, also, uh, before we fully dive into the final, you know, like explanation stuff, um, I want to look at how just superheroes in general as a genre use names. Mm-hmm. So um, like one question I, I asked when I was first thinking about this, when I was first writing this sort of essay like two years ago uh when we're talking about secret identi- identities, right? Superman and Clark Kent, Spider-Man and Peter Parker, Batman and Bruce Wayne. Which one is the secret identity mm. and which one is the real, yeah. right? It, it, when I when I was doing research, it was actually very hard to find any sort of answer on this, which is kind of very strange to me. But um, I think it obviously depends on interpretation. But I think almost always the more real one is the powered one, the, yeah. the superhero so it's always them, Superman. Like, they have something that mm-hmm. they need to achieve and they don't have the means or or power to do it as themselves so they have to become someone else and that becomes they like take it on they like become their their secondary self even more Mm -hmm. so because they have that power yeah yeah they're not allowed to be their full self Mm -hmm. because the full self is the one with the superpowers right in their human identities uh but in their in their superhero identities like the, o- the only parts of them that they are not able to um, exemplify are the ones that are like basically social mm-hmm. um, and, and external by um, virtue of that. Yeah. Like they can fully be their own personalities. Like it's pretty clear that like Bruce Wayne is an act while Batman who punches people in the face is not. Yeah. 
Um, however, there's ones where it's more 50-50, where like Peter Parker and Spider-Man, I think, are way more in tune mm-hmm. than any anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, where I feel like Peter Parker is basically he's yeah he's he's basically the real identity, except that sometimes Peter Parker has to dress up and and fight crime. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I found that interesting, and I think carrying that into Worm, I think that's also very true. I think basically every single cape is more cape than is more para than human, mm. right? Do you think it has something Where, to do with like what the particular person needs and is doing when they take on this like superhero persona? I think, but I would like you to elaborate. Like, well, in in the sense of like Batman or or like Spider Man, um, Bruce Wayne is like unable to to. Um, articulate and and um act out and uh not process his emotions and grief right as himself mm-hmm. and so he has to go out and kind of externalize that um onto like the people who are uh, committing crimes in gotham right um, right but then like so so he feels more himself when he's able to fully express his emotions in the way that he thinks he should right but then like mm-hmm. yeah peter parker like he's still in a a state of like identity flux because he's a teenager right right um so this concept of taking on like donning a suit and like going out and like taking care of his neighborhood it's still he's not it's it's more of just like an adventure to him right and he's like looking out for the people that he knows in his neighborhood right Mm -hmm. he's not yeah he's not like uh i mean he has the powers but there isn't there isn't like that that like like a need for him to go out and like it, it it's another option for him to like exist in another space for him to exist in with and like fully flesh out his powers but like there's less of that like need to like return to it for a particular purpose over and over you know even i mean of he the, is additionally of the spider-man identity? yeah like i mean he is like solving crimes and like saving people and such but like that's just because he feels like he has to like he has that role you mm-hmm. know what i mean that like it's not like a problem he's like internal problem yeah, he's trying to yeah he's he's not spider-man because of trauma he's spider-man because like he, he feels it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. which partially is because of trauma the great power was great responsibility that's true but still I, like i think for the most part it's just because he feels like like that's what a good person does yeah, yeah batman probably somewhat feels the same way but i think it's coming from a darker place yeah. see because uh, like, maybe that's just the, i feel you know, like spider-man interpretation but like still. he he could be somebody else like it's not there isn't a necessity for him mm-hmm. to be spider-man you know Mm-hmm. But yeah. he's always going to be Peter Parker, right? Whereas, like, yes, Batman, I, think so. I feel yeah. like would be he would he would very willingly give up his his like pretending to be a person mm-hmm. and just be Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. Um, which um, I feel like that's I think what... Superman's another angle yeah, for that, yeah. where it, Clark Kent is almost is tied to his humanity. Um, it also depends on the, on the interpretation because sometimes Clark Kent is like just like a nerdy nobody, mm-hmm. and other times he's like basically just himself um or a mix I don't yeah, know. yeah yeah so okay but let's let's get into actual yeah, worm yeah. um so i can we can move on Sorry. um so uh whereas most names that we have are a quote non-negotiated part of our identity right mm-hmm. um capes usually name themselves right and they name themselves with purpose right so the, i mean capes can name themselves literally anything they want i mean it's not always going to stick right mm-hmm. if your if your name's a mouthful they're going to name you something else if you don't name yourself as we've seen a couple places with taylor with fault lines crew you get named for you right yeah. um we also know that in this uh 
world knowledge is power right, in this story. So uh, sometimes the difference between Taylor winning and losing a fight is knowing uh, what who she's up against does, mm, right? Yeah. So you would think that most capes would uh, intentionally obscure their power um, or name themselves that has nothing to do with their power, right? But that's not true. They all, almost all, as a rule, name themselves in some reference to their power because that's the only way that it fits, right? Lung, it, that's, that means dragon, yeah. right? A vista, right? L- overall, like, big scenes, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, who are some other? Tattletale, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like they, they, they put not only their power but their personality into their name, even though, like, that's not, a, like, the most tactical decision, right? Because they just can't help yeah. it. It's like for the aesthetic. There's obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And it's not like as a rule, they always put stuff about their power in there, right? Like kid win is, you know, just a name, yeah. right? But it does it does also inform a lot of stuff, right? That he's a kid, mm-hmm. right? Um, and doesn't know how to pick a good thing. <laughs> um, like, like, here, like here's here, a, a really good example of like, clearly this is, if you think about it, a bad decision, uh, Regent, right? Mm. His, his power... He's he's hiding his body control power, his full body control yeah. power, right? But his name Regent fits that power far better than the twitching aspect, mm. right? Like his old name Hijack would kind of fit both, right? But Regent, yeah, yeah. Why would a Regent make you just like twitch your arm, right? Um, so so even though he's handicapping himself to not use his true power, he he keeps that aspect of it in his name. Um, and we're also, I think we're told that the parahuman culture discourages name that doesn't, don't have a direct correlation with powers. Like, uh, I think that's during the Leviathan arc. Yeah. Um, that's, that's talked about a little bit where it's, um, or at the very least that like the, the whole bird thing fell out of fashion at the very least. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, name yourself a whatever falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, that's, that's just the aesthetic. That's not the power. Um, and so in the end, I think through the course of the story, capes usually end up thinking of themselves as their cape name first because their civilian identity doesn't consolidate their entire being. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't cover everything. Because their their true self, their like physical self, the felt the self that like perceives the world and how to interact with it does have the superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. Skitter has the power to control bugs. Taylor Hebert doesn't. Yeah. Until yeah. later on when she reclaims it. And so this leads to capes thinking of themselves as parahumans first, second as human. Um and uh, so one interesting example to me is Case 53s, right, who are constantly in superpowered form, right? Almost none of them, I don't think, the only one in the entire story that I can remember that has more than one name is Sveta. Yeah. Uh, originally Garrett, right? Yeah. But I think she also chooses Sveta to be like her full name all the time. And that was really only um, because she was encouraged to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, so neuter is neuter, mm-hmm. right? Um, one interesting one is Gregor the Snail, I think is really interesting because he chooses a normal name, but keeping the moniker the Snail. Um, so like an interesting in between to me. It's very like, um, like a medieval, like leader. (laughs) Yeah. Gregor the Snail. Sure. Yeah. Gregor the Snail. Yeah. Yeah. I can picture it. Yeah. Um, and so one final one that I find very interesting is Weld, right? So Yamada tells him, pick a real name, Mm. right? And uh, she's telling everyone to do that in, in hoping that everyone identifies with a more human name. And that's valid, right? But, yeah. like, Weld is never not a parahuman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very clearly why he rejects that. Because he, he can't turn it off. If if he were to, like, he he would either just change his name entirely 
um, and just have one other name that's more human. That's that's fair enough, Jessica Yamada. Or uh, he keeps this one, but he would not like choose a civilian name. Yeah. Like because he's yeah, yeah he's never like, not when, well. When would he use that? Like the concept right. of of in like parahumans using their their civilian names is like when they go to like the grocery store or like are mm-hmm. not wearing their their costumes or like there is a there is a like physical tangible shift in their in their like presentation that that um he would never really be able to depict right like i mean he could just when he puts on a costume right like a suit or whatever particular clothes or something but yeah and then that could be his superhero thing but like he would still be identifiable in both cases as the same it would just be like okay while i'm wearing these clothes where call me something else yeah he's not being someone else Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, in, in, again, like as a, as a sort of foil, um, Sveta does choose a more human name, unlike Weld. Um, so they're kind of choosing both sides of being powered and, and unpowered, yeah. which one part of their identity are they trying to get closer to? Yeah, but she chooses, she chooses her name specifically because she doesn't want to identify with her, like, right. her powered self. So she can, like, build, right. a, a, like, control over herself in a way that's, like, active. Mm-hmm. So, so to, to move on, mm-hmm. um, uh, let's let's finally look at Taylor, yes. right? She has four names over the course of the story. Taylor, Skitter, Weaver, Kepri. Mm-hmm. Only Weaver. Weaver is the only one that she chooses. Taylor is given to her by her parents. Uh, Skitter is given to her by the media and the, the heroes. Actually, I wish I remembered who exactly it was that, that called her that, actually. Like it, was, it was one of the... Uh, yeah, it was one of the wards, yeah. I think. Or I can't remember. Um, she chooses Weaver, uh, but Kepri is also by everyone at large. However, she also, near the end there, starts choosing what Taylor means to her. Yeah. And right? she starts calling herself Taylor mm-hmm. again. And I think that also, that also counts. Yeah, because she, like, so, very deliberately, mm-hmm. like, chooses to, to step away from both of the names that she has previously mm-hmm. identified as a parahuman. And now that she's, right. she's sort of, like, reclaiming. Yeah, and trying to sort of claim, like feel the entirety of her identity. Mm-hmm. Like before with Weaver, she did she she chose right, and she was choosing very particular traits. Right, she was choosing pragmatism. Yeah, she was choosing, um, you know, getting the job done, get doing doing the greater good. That's what Weaver yeah. is entirely. Um, you know, an emphasis on like tying things together and and building rather than anything else. Yeah. However, that doesn't. Yeah, there was like there was no Taylor basically. There, there, almost that entire time, she's either Taylor or Skitter, and that's th- those are the two identities that she's grappling with. Taylor is not a consideration of an identity during her time as Weaver, mm-hmm. um, and it's not until after after that identity fails that she chooses another one. Um, it's also, I think, significant that like each of these moments is a very is is a turning point. Obviously, Weaver very obviously, but Skitter is like the bank robbery is like the first turning point, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Where you're like, oh, this is a more interesting story than I thought. <laughs> um, and uh, Kepri we don't see until... I, I don't know if anyone calls her Kepri to, like, in the story or if that's just after. It is after, right? I feel like it's... I don't remember. I don't, I don't think anyone addresses her as Kepri. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that it gets used somewhere. It does, because it's in that section. But who... Like, how do we know that it's her that we're referring to? Nah, I'm pretty sure it's clear. I don't remember though. Anyway, um, so it gets it gets chosen for her as well. Mm-hmm. Um, with with Skitter, we're shown that it's the heroes are choosing it intentionally to make her seem like inti- unintimidating, but not like pathetic, yeah. right? She just skitters around. 
Um, but when she adopts the name, it makes it her own. And uh, by the time the Slaughterhouse Nine leave, Skitter has become like a terrifying persona, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And there's a big emphasis on the creepiness, right? On the skittering, on the the crawling, yeah, on yeah. the covered in bugs, <laughs> Taylor. Right? Yeah. Near the end of the story, Imp is like, hey, you're being your old terrifying self again. Good job. Um, and so she's kind of reclaimed the name and changed the power of it. And um, But at the same time, it's changed her, right? She becomes she becomes not just Skitter, not the supervillain Skitter. She com- becomes the warlord of Brockton mm-hmm. Bay Skitter, right? And th- that additional epithet, I think, also alters how we feel about her. Yeah. I'm going to try to finish up. Um so uh, after killing Alexandra, she she you know changes to Weaver and trying to be more pragmatic, still violent, but with with a hope of like with this change of name, she can put back put put back her old identity and um, build a new one. And and she kind of is able to right like she really does become more Weaver than than Skitter. At least that's how everyone else feels it. Right. Yeah. Um, there's some other you know important aspects about names here. You I know like she, like... Brian loses the pieces mm-hmm. of pieces of like herself though when she becomes weaver like she actually so she becomes... decides to like shut some things down yeah i, I mean she loses friendship mm-hmm. she loses that ability to have friendship yeah. um and just another section of like how names are important brian you know his line you'll always be skitter to me yeah. Yeah. right not 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 you'll always be taylor it's not you'll always be taylor it's you will always be skitter to me because that was her real identity at the yeah. time and i feel like he's one of those examples of like someone who who knows you from the past and like has held on to that memory of you. Like, yeah. cause to him, she's always going to be the person that he remembers, not necessarily who she becomes. Right. Uh, one little note I think is that's significant is that when Taylor puts on her costumes, she never says that she like becomes her other identity. Yeah. It's like a, it's a single consciousness uh, all the way through, right? She's not like, Oh, uh, I put on my skit, my, my costume became Skitter yeah. or I put on my costume became Weaver. Um, it's not really until like the very end that she's like, I'm going to be Taylor and makes decisions off of mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. I feel like there's not a lot of people who we see think that way. Like, I, I know that like mm-hmm. Theo thinks that way, but like a lot of the other ones are just kind of like this, like they, they don't really examine that, that shift. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it can, it can occur. Like, I don't remember who answers like a telephone call during like a, a therapy session, but someone is like, they like immediately shift. Um, foil. Yeah, foil. Where she like or Lily. She's having this whole conversation, but immediately she shifts, and it doesn't matter what she's wearing. It's it's her mindset. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Related to that, I think it's also significant on by the end of the story. What are you calling these characters? Yeah. In, in at different points, what are you calling them? Right. If you just read a bunch of chapters where Brian is is Brian and there's romance, then he's Brian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, he's actually more Brian than than Grew. For the most part, oh, really? because I'm not sure, but like, at least by the end here, it's like Brian is his more vulnerable side, mm-hmm. I think, and he's definitely more vulnerable. That's, I feel like, um, but other, mm-hmm. I feel like I think of it the other direction is that mm. he he wanted Gru to be his more like strong and like stable side, but that was where he experienced like mm. more of his like traumatic experiences or like. That's when we see him being more vulnerable. Um, sure. In the moments where he's like under high stress or distress, where he like has to take himself out of an equation, it's usually when he's grew. Um, yeah. And then when he's Brian, it's yeah. like he's trying to like 
hold up that front. Yeah. So a couple of things, um, some other ones are like, um, like Rachel, right? By the end, she's mm-hmm. Rachel. She's more, way more Rachel than she is yeah, bitch, yeah. right? Um, Tattletale, I, I think she more leans Tattletale, but she's also closer to 50-50. Um, I don't know if I... Imp is certainly far more than Aisha, I think, because she's like more of a trickster kind yeah. of thing. And so, yeah, she's she's Imp. Yeah, I don't know if I have thought... I don't think I thought of Tattletale's Lisa since like the first eight yeah. arcs. Yeah, a while. Yeah. Um, and, and so on with many yeah, others. Yeah. You know, there's Vista has the same thing where she's she's definitely identifies with Vista way more than Missy Byron, mm-hmm. right? We talked about that before. Um, one one example I forgot to mention earlier about about Taylor, right, is when her secret identity is revealed, right? Oh yeah. She could have she could have lost the the skater identity and just became Taylor the warlord. Yeah. She could have. That's that was a possibility, but no, because she really was skitter at the mm-hmm. time. She was way more skitter than she was Taylor. And so when that wall broke down, the skitter side subsumed the Taylor mm-hmm. side. Yeah, she sort of like built this persona and then like embodied it almost almost yeah. after she built it. Yeah. Yeah. So just to just to finish off, um because we, we gotta take a break real quick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um uh, to, to finish off, the, the one of the main themes of Worm is how the masks we put on, we become. Yeah. Um, and I think names are a big part of that. And I, obviously, I've branched out a bit more into identities in general. But the idea of like by, it, you know, there's there's a whole thing of like um, something doesn't exist until you name it. Right. Yeah. Until there's a name for something to to separate it from something else. It does not exist. So these characters placing names on different parts of themselves does separate that part mm-hmm. from themselves and does let them think of that part as something else and does let them change because of it. Um, and I think that's, that's fairly significant. And I think that's important in how we, we view names in our own lives. Um, yeah. We can like, and th- not to, yeah, go ahead. We can like place particular like distinctions between pieces of our identity, I suppose, of like where we are and who yeah. we are with. Yeah. I, I think um, it, not, not to go into details at all, but Ward also has a lot, about this, mm. about names and, and choosing names for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, it, not not to take it too literally, you know, I don't think this is like a handbook, but, I, you know, I think it would be significant to, like, if you're trying to change something about yourself, maybe consider finding a name for that different self that you're trying yeah. to be. It doesn't have to, like, literally be a new name, but, like, what are you calling this different mm-hmm. self? How are you differentiating it from the person that you are now? Yeah. Okay, that's my speech. <laughs> a good speech, I think. Those were our final essays for Worm, uh, at least unless if we come back or something like that, which is possible, you never but know. not planned. I definitely have made a list. Oh, yes. I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, just like mm-hmm. potential things yes. that I want to just think about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, let's do our final favorite powers from, from this section. Uh, so what were your favorite powers from arcs 27 through end? Okay, I I had two I had a large scale and a small scale. Um, and the small scale is uh, the teleporter mm-hmm. that Taylor encounters the on teleporter. Battlefield. Yeah, yeah, where she gets like, it, it was interesting the way that it was like articulated of like sh- her power is like this, the way that Taylor understands it is like understanding incomplete, incomplete things in her like memories, mm-hmm. you know, because she like is processing through her own memories and it's like the bugs. Here they are again, the empty bugs. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was also just really cool. Yeah, the void. To, like, That's what, uh, the, like, was said. drawing of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So uh, I I had a, I had a couple. Um, well, like one just classic Wenya when she has an Eidolon shade just felt really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think Bohu yeah. also had a classic and Eidolon, or at the very least, it's possible, which is uh, frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to a third face, huh. just just Terrifying. just that. How many powers can you get in one person? What if like, Butcher for uh, the last one, maybe? Ah, oh, Butcher. What happens? How I miss if an Cherish. Bringer kills Butcher. I think it probably. I, I think uh, it was something like if if Butcher dies of natural causes, it goes to the nearest parahuman. I think. Mm. Oh, and and the Inbringers are natural. Yeah, I guess so. Deaths. Hmm. I wonder if it would get like diffused, mm-hmm. like salt. I hope so. Jeez. Yeah. Oof. Um, my large scale one that I was very interested in was the observational capacity of uh, the clairvoyant. I would not want to experience that often, but I feel like that would be really, really cool. Mm-hmm. To view literally everything Just at to once? see. Yeah. Also probably dizzying. A bit. But... I feel like I, after that, <laughs> I would suddenly like be very disappointed with my own senses. Mm, yeah. So I would not want to touch that that poison apple. Oh, that's true. I feel like I couldn't handle it more than once. Mm-hmm. Like I get overwhelmed just like in general mm-hmm. in life. Um, so I feel like it would be a very overwhelming experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so real quick, uh, sleeper, great power, love that one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. another one. Um, actually, teacher, just just like I that kind of power definitely does seem like actually seductive. Like you totally would be like okay but like i just like i would get just like a little power just like a little power just like a little bit <laughs> right just just to try it out i'll be like a little a little parahuman just for a little bit and i'll just help him out and then i'll go on my merry way i can resist it like a tester stick but you but you can't you you can't mm. but that's that's what we do we talk ourselves into bad things all the time very true uh, rationalization oh man another one um just just how uh ludicrous um taylor's uh use of door maker was like the the doors don't move they don't move yeah they don't move every step she takes she closes all of them one by one and reopens them every single one these are holes in reality that's like that's so i wonder that seems like a problem yeah i wonder if she knew upon further reflection if she knew how much energy it was taking and how that door maker could run out if she would have just like done that less yeah if she was conscious of how much she was using yeah oh, yeah i didn't think about it before but when you mentioned narwhal her power was actually very cool mm-hmm. I, I... um i did not remember before but it, it has like it's just been like percolating all night what i it's love cool. in in that final chapter uh taylor like sends her sends bugs in her eyes right Mm-hmm. And instead of like brushing them out of her way or something, she bisects each individual bug with a force field, <laughs> and it's so uh, extra and it's so unnecessary. Dedication. And I'm pretty sure like that's why she gets captured too, just because she was being yeah. so extra. Like she doesn't have to be naked, you know. That's her choice. It's for the aesthetic. It's for the aesthetic. It's a good aesthetic. I'll, I'll say that much. True. Um, okay. Any favorite powers that left over? Any any from the entire story that we that we didn't mention? Maybe. Oh, that's quite a it lot. It is quite a lot to suddenly take in. Honestly, I don't think we talked enough about Nobok's power. And um Yeah, I know. We sort of just mentioned him a bit. Yeah, I wish we saw a bit more of his uh just the particulars. Like okay, he he does a lot of creations. I just want to see like his special yeah. ones, you know? Yeah, cuz I mean, he has some that like his, you know, begotten beget. Right. Don't they? Yeah, they they um, reproduce. Yeah. 
Um, so I feel like that whole line of production could be interesting. Yes. In terms of like And again, Blasto. I miss him DNA. so much. Ah, Blasto. I miss Accord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Wonderful. I want to see a buddy cop movie with this, just them two. <laughs> that would be fun. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's get into the, mm-hmm. the final themes and theories. These are some essays that um, some people sent in. Um, we have we have two here with Megafire7, uh, who wrote an essay on the fight with Scion and how um, there is a sort of dichotomy and... and difference uh, comparing contrasts between um uh the humanity and alienness of kepri and scion right where mm-hmm. dr mother um insisted that abstract alien methods are how they de- you defeat an abstract alien foe and taylor was saying that no it should be the, the human ways right um that she, she wants it to be humans that are able to win the day and megafire mm-hmm. asserts that they were both right and wrong where what defeated Scion was an alien method of attack, an alien Kepri, right? Which is more shard than human, but mm-hmm. attacking the most human part of Scion and um, finishing off with saying that the reason that they won is because uh, Kepri, Taylor, in the end, was less human than Scion. Ah, so interesting. That's like, ah, it's very, very interesting kind of, you know, flipping of of the rules i think it's very well done and i, I think that's mm-hmm. absolutely correct and i think is a worthy addiction addition to anyone analyzing specifically like how the ending functions or um humanity in worm or um a bunch of different angles regarding that i think that's a really useful observation yeah um and then i'm very bad at math um did a short essay on uh taylor and sort of her like character identity and and her uh uh kind of layers of of self-concept where it's like uh they say that taylor's three people she is who she is she is who she thinks she is and then who she wants to be so there's sort of this like you know all the sort of gaps i think between each of those different individuals that she like sees or like is in her mind i suppose um where uh oh where taylor's she is furious you know and then she thinks she's being reasonable because she does so much rationalizing um and then she wants to be this hero, uh, but doesn't necessarily live up to to her um, aspirations. Yeah, um, they, they point out this particular uh, section when she's talking to Foyle and Parian, right? And being very convincing, mm-hmm. like actually being convincing, but um, also being, you know, covered in bugs at the same time and having, you know, yeah. th- those are a threat. Atlas is a threat right in the room, too. And just not recognizing those things. Yeah, I feel like her definition of hero kind of is her, her definition of hero in terms of herself is like warped mm-hmm. from what the like denotative uh definition would be i think yeah uh yeah i, I don't think she ever <laughs> ever in under any circumstance would be a true blue hero i think that's yeah a bit out of her reach but i'm kind of i'm really glad that she didn't become really that. yeah i don't know i i mean i like her better because she didn't that she like kept pieces of herself even when she was like entering if entering into like the wards and like into a role that she had chosen for herself she wasn't willing to to sort of cast off everything that she was before yeah yeah um yeah i think so i i, I think she probably would have i mean she wouldn't have been able to do most of the things that she had had to do yeah 
Um, okay, that is our our themes and mm. theories. And of course, uh, if you guys send in um, essays and, and and themes and stuff, we won't be able to respond them right away. Obviously, this is the last episode. But I can imagine that some point in the future we might you know return and do some sort of essay or something, and we would definitely address it at that time. So if you're listening to this far in the future, uh, consider still sending in an essay, or at the very least writing it and like posted on posting it on the Discord or not the Discord. Well, the Discord too, but also the subreddit is what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, yeah, people want to hear more worm content, and honestly, there there could be more worm scholarly stuff out there. I'm pretty sure there's only the last time I checked, which is earlier this year. I'm pretty sure there is only like two academic articles on worm at this point. Uh, there's some interviews. There are some. What sort of? What sort mm, of? I think one um, was on things were they rationalist protagonists. I think. Okay. I'm not entirely sure. And another one might have been just on like the concept of web serials. So neither mm. are like specifically on like the content of worm. Yeah. So if you want to be the first, if you're in college, if you're writing a thesis, yeah. go for it. Go some. Go to some publishing I, about. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so before before we actually outro, I want to reflect on Decomposing Worm because, Clarence, mm. it's over. Here it is. We finished. This is it. No, so surprising. It just, it does not I feel mean, like I shouldn't it's be over, surprised. But... That's generally what happens, but. Yes. Huh. Yeah, we're, we're done, though. Yeah. Feels good, though. It does. I feel like accomplished. It does. <sighs> it's really weird to actually, like, you know, be able to, to package something up and be like, okay, we're done with that. You know, yeah. I, I mean, do the right thing. It's going on indefinitely. Right. And we're like changing mm-hmm. formats and stuff. So uh, it's like that's continued changing form. That one is that's something that never gets finished. It doesn't have a finish. Yeah. Yeah. It has a there isn't, there's isn't a prescribed. Right. Finish point. It has a you aren't making any more point. Right. Yeah. But this is done. This is the conclusion. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. glad to have done it. Um, there's definitely uh, some things we learned. I feel like. Yes. Yes. Rescheduling. <laughs> Just that don't. <laughs> um, ah. Well, okay. So, so in perspective, we were in college, uh, and I'm I am right now, and it's also a pandemic time. That's true. And I mean, I'm usually disconnected from time, mm-hmm. and it just like became worse. Worse. Yeah. Yeah. So we we do apologize for having so many uh, push dates and stuff like that. We're so glad that you guys, you know, and I mean, no one ever complained. So we really appreciate that. That's really kind of you. Yeah, you were very nice yeah, about it. Yeah. Um, and we did have good reasons every time. Although, of course, each one of those good reasons could have been solved by, you know, like doing stuff ahead of time. But true. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, do we want to do we want to announce right now, actually? Oh, yeah, sure. So so. J- relevant we will be applying <laughs> the lessons learned in our next project uh which um as many of you might have guessed or were excited about uh clarence and i for our next po- podcast will be covering twig that's right twig. we'll be covering twig twig is actually one of my favorite uh is my favorite wild bow work entirely um and uh can you can you tell me what the what the name of that podcast is gonna be called clarence it is called dissecting twig Thank you to DDev, who suggested Dissecting Twig. Mm. We're stealing your idea, and you do have credit for coming up with a name because we did not do it. Uh, Thank you, DDev, who's actually the moderator on the Doof Media Discord right now. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so that'll be more of a We've Got Ward, uh, We've Got Worm 
yeah, we've got worm sort of analysis, probably closer to arc by arc, probably more half arc by half arc because it's a bit longer than than worm mm, was. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We might have some reflective episodes, but um, to address the scheduling thing because we don't want to have that problem again. What we'll probably do is uh, record some number of episodes ahead of time. Maybe not. Probably not all of them, but some number of them. Um, Maybe like the first five arcs, maybe the first ten. I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, but we'll we'll record our analysis of those ahead of time, and we'll release them on a schedule. Um, but we will have like a listener section that will be recorded like live, right? So we'll record our the main body of the episode, you know, six weeks in advance or whatever it is. Um, and then the week that it comes out, we will read all of your comments and things like that, and um then record a response to those and and attach that to the first part of the episode, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the plan right now. Who knows if it'll change because uh, we won't be doing that right away. Uh, We, um, yeah, we won't be doing that right away. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Smooth. Um, Yeah, but I'm I'm super excited about it. I'm really looking forward to it. What do you know Um, about it already? Mostly because I like my, like the, the impression that you have given me is like, gothic mary shelley frankenstein-esque but also like biopunk Mm -hmm. which seems and then i feel like there was another description of a world of bone saw (laughs) maybe not quite as twisted sure yeah um which all sounds wonderful to me (laughs) um because i love mary shelley yes and anything anything in that kind of uh gamut or ballpark i don't think it's a gamut that's that's more of like an array of things isn't it i think so in that, you know, um, range, tack, yeah, yeah, range, um, yeah, that's sort of my extent. Good, you're in for a, you're in for a treat. It's a good time. I, I yeah. really, really, really like Twig. Um, it's actually uh, when it's, so so for some some back the scenes, back the scenes, behind the scenes stuff. We actually, um, I wanted to do Twig, um, way before planning to do decomposing worm. Actually, I wanted to do that first. It was already at the time the only wild bow work not getting covered um this was before Mm -hmm. pale when i was planning this out and i wanted you to do it with me clarence but of course like the ticket to enter the wild bow fandom is is at this point anyway a reading worm everyone has read worm Mm -hmm. with very few exceptions um i'm hoping that pale changes that and that maybe pale becomes a new entry point um because it's you know really good and hopefully it'll be shorter but we will see um so that's why decomposing worm yeah, exists, y'all. It's because <laughs> if Clarence was going to read worm anyway, we might as well get a podcast out of it and sort of use this as yeah. like a, a training run leading up to it. And I think I think we've definitely learned a lot from this um, yeah, that we'll be so. applying, certainly about script writing mm-hmm. and analysis. Um, I'm not entirely sure how we'll keep the uh, the whole literary bit because um, I do want to apply that, but I have no idea how we should structure that. But we'll figure that mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, but I'm really happy we did this. It's 45, ep- uh, 45 hours of content. 45 hours. A little, maybe like a tiny That's bit a less. a lot of it's talking. It's a lot of talking. Actually, it's, for, it's I'm certain it's 45 if we add this podcast into it. And it's actually way more because I cut like two hours from every single episode. A lot, about. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, mostly, <sighs> mostly just cutting out the pauses in between how much we talk for the most part. Yeah, because yeah. we take big pauses sometimes, and we do take big pauses. Yes, if you go back and listen to our episodes, Clarence, we sound so much smarter than we actually are because uh, we there's no hesitation oh, between nice. each of our phrases. 
And it just seems like we know everything. Yeah, yeah. Because we speak so, you know... Uh, fluidly. Fluidly. Yeah. Yeah, no pause between those either. <laughs> Man, so powerful. So powerful. Um, uh, additionally, uh, the, the whole book section uh, thing, I think it worked out okay, uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's like the way that worm is supposed to be approached, but there was some there was some pros. Um, yeah, I it definitely I, I felt like I was able to sort of sort through the like arcs that felt like they went together more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I sort of got a larger picture later on in in some of the later like the fifth and fourth fifth that kind of area, yeah. I feel like I got I was I was really beginning to. Um, understand the like um starts and stops of it i guess Mm -hmm. if that makes sense um like like the how the like plot arcs would begin and end yeah yeah i feel like if i had read it completely all the way through um in one singular reading um i don't know if i would have had as much of a say about like the rhythm of fighting and Mm. like the rhythm of writing like um just because I feel like I would just have read it really like frantically because I would want to know what's happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I wouldn't have acknowledged that sort of like balance. Yeah, I'm on I'm on the same page. Um I, I mean my my first read was definitely extremely frantic. I don't know how frantic, yeah, but very yeah. frantic. Um I remember being on a on on a fancy trip and like reading arc 8 in the middle of the night up until like 4 a.m. or something, which mm-hmm. totally did not my family was not happy about the next day. It was like, but the book is really good. <laughs> so I feel like that was just like me as mm-hmm. a child. Yeah. Was just, like, just leave me at home. I can travel I wherever like, I want. I have to just. Pages. I feel like that was that was that was just my nose was in a book for like the entirety of middle school, mm-hmm. and didn't really matter what book it was. It was just sort of like whatever I found in the library. Yeah, do you remember that phenomenon where like you would just read literally anything? I would be in like in the bathroom. Right. And then it would just start reading mm. the backs of bottles or whatever of, of yeah. soap and like being interested in it, too. Mm. So strange. Voracious. Yeah. I read some like weird shit. <laughs> like? Like, I don't know what it is about like bookstores and me, but I feel like I always find the really odd things. Like what? I don't know. There was some book about like frogs, but it was also like this painting. This guy was in love with the painting, but then like some... I don't know if they were people or, like, other beings, but they, like, cloned the lady in the painting, and he kept seeing her, and it was, like, all of her bodies. There was, like, five of them, and he was being followed, and it was just this whole thing. What? I don't even know. It, I, I'm sure it's buried somewhere in my, like, books. It was an odd book. It was an odd every book. Every detail you added made that so much more interesting. Frogs, but a guy, but about a guy obsessed with the painting, except someone, these beings... Clo- yeah, but oh, I wow. think she was like some sort of queen. Something. Oh, okay, of course, of course. I don't, I right. don't know. It no, was a yeah. Weird... <laughs> uh huh. So if you, if y'all can diagnose, but uh, either either <laughs> give us the book or just diagnose Clarence as me and my strange book yes. collection. Yes. Ugh. Um. Okay. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I well, I mean, I do want to read that, whatever it is. So. I'll see if I can find it so I can tell you the title. Please, please. Um, ah, yes. That was earlier, if I wanted to talk about any of that. Which thing? All these things about how we feel about... Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Decomposing Worm. Yeah, I don't think we're done with that section. Oh, yeah. Um, 
Well, I was just thinking about like what particular things, like uh, in terms of writing, mm-hmm. what what the process of of writing for a podcast mm. is like. Um, because we originally came into this thinking like we're gonna write essays, <laughs> um, and then <clears throat> and then it sort of just like turned into this like documented thinking process yeah. that took on the feeling of essays. But then there was this whole like you know uh, amorphous like bit of of the writing that happens when you talk. Yeah, you know where it like becomes something else even after you write it. Because um, I feel like I had m- many, many moments where I was like, I've come to a conclusion that I did not think I was going mm. to get to yeah. um, in the process of explaining things. Yeah. Or I would I would say something and be like, I don't agree with what I said. So it was just this very like, it felt like uh, slightly out of the strictures of essay writing, mm-hmm. but like still within that sort of like revision. Yeah, it's I mean, it's sort of like you place. are writing another draft as you speak. Yeah. Because, you know, you keep a lot of stuff from your older drafts, right? You might even keep most of it, but you're going to do a little edits as you go, and it will end up a little bit different. So it's kind of, it's very similar, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting speaking from, like, a script. Mm-hmm. Because um, I feel like I was, like, constantly doing that. Yeah. Of sort of, like, reevaluating what I had written down. Yeah. So people ask us for our, our script sometimes, and it's like, some some of them, especially our summaries, I think... I could post and they, they would be pretty accurate to what we said, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like for this episode, uh, at least my essays were, there's just a jumble where I was actually going yeah. back and forth on them. It, they were mostly copy pasted stuff from like other writings I'd done and just to keep everything on the page so I could like look at it if I had to. Um, so yeah, I feel like these episodes particularly yeah. were like sort of like a collage of things Yeah, that we sort of like threw down on the table and then kind of sifted through as we were talking. Yeah, there was, and, and, and they also differed from like episode to episode so much. Like w- <laughs> yeah. one time I would write, a, you know, an entire. The consistency oh, was yeah. very much yeah. not there. Yeah, no, but uh, the thing is, the output I think was fairly consistent. So I know that's so interesting. Yeah. So, so sometimes I would write, you know, write out basically everything I was going to say, almost as I was going to say it in in script form, right? And other times I would just mm-hmm. write a bunch of bullet points in an order that I want to read them in. And other times I would just put down quotes and then eventually <laughs> say something uh, that makes sense. So yeah. um, I feel like that is like reflective of the way that I do pre-writing though, mm-hmm. is every time that I pre-write, it's just a bit different than any other time. Mm. Where like, I mean, there'll be writing in all of this, but there's always like, there's some slightly different way that I will have accumulated whatever it was. I think I follow. And it's not that I'm, like, improving. <laughs> it's just different. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, you're you're trying a bunch of different iterations, and they're all dependent on the material you're working with. Although not necessarily, like, one-to-one. Like, it's just... Yeah. Yeah. Different. Yeah. No, I get that. Makes sense. Um, okay. Yeah. So that's... We've definitely learned a lot about, about writing. Um, mm-hmm. The I, I think writing summaries is going to be so much easier going forward. Uh, after we found our rhythm with that, it got so much easier. Writing essays yeah, was still did. difficult. Um, but I feel like essay writing is mm-hmm. always going to be so. And, and, and mostly it was the episodes where we had to use a new literary theory that were the hardest for me mm-hmm. because it was like I had to read a new literary theory, figure out how to apply it to Worm and make it not bad. And that was hard. So Yeah, yeah. And sound... Yeah, like I feel I know like what I'm talking about, which I don't. So yeah, yeah, that's the hard part. Is yeah, to sound like you know what you're talking about. Yeah, 
We are not experts, y'all. We read a couple books. That's it. We didn't. I didn't even yeah. read most of the books all the way through. So, like, no. Just just count the me as in like going in the right direction, and then please find the rest of the way yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. Do do some reading though. <laughs> Go read uh, Terry Eagleton's Introduction to Literary Theory. It's not even that 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 much. Um, yeah, that one's a pretty pretty um, decent one to get through. Yeah. If you want a really uh, fucky mind bendy one that I, I just really like thinking about sometimes every time i feel like i know what it says every time or this is uh simulacra and simulation by john uh, baudrillard um yes so yes i've begun reading oh that. you have how multiple times how how are you enjoying that um i haven't finished reading it how are you enjoying the part that you have read it's it, I mean, it's very interesting. I don't know if I fully understand. No, that's it. the thing. I, I always feel like I know what I'm talking about when I when I'm thinking about it, right? But as soon as I write things yeah. down, I'm like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the kind of thing where, like, it, we might I might have mentioned this before, but where as you're reading it, it starts to make sense, but as soon as you look away, it doesn't. As soon as you yes. like try to actually articulate it, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's uh, it's it's uh, the inspiration behind the the Matrix. Actually, everyone. Uh, the the Wachowskis um, made everyone read it, all the cast, and some people loved it, some people hated it, and like didn't understand it at all. Uh, it's only forty thousand words. It's a like novella length. Um, and actually, Clarence, there is a quote unquote translation of it. It was originally written in French, but this is not what I'm talking about. It's a translation from the English version to the uh, normal English version. Like when someone says "Speak English, please," yeah, someone did that. And so it's the entire text, all like the the entire length of the of the text, right? Yeah. In a like full of cursing and dumbed down language, including memes, uh, thing. That's and it's online for free. I think it's uh, what's it called? So it might not actually be the entire um thing, but it is a lot. It's very long. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is okay. on continentcontinent.cc. Uh, so if you search um, continent and then the procession of simulacra uh, translated from English into American, um, translated by one uh, Sean Joseph Patrick Carney, uh, sh- I- I- any of those keywords should pop up. Um, it's pretty good. I think it's actually on a Tumblr site. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but let-, let me just read the very beginning because we'll see- why not? Um, it says... Uh, Procession of Simulacra. You think you understand the fucking real, man? Try this shit on for size. The simulacrum is never that which conceals the truth. It is a truth which conceals that there is none. The simulacrum is true. Ecclesiastes. Boom. That's all bold, all caps. Fucking truth bomb. You're like, what's a simulacrum? It's Latin for copying shit. Anyway, it's pretty well done. And it actually gets you to Very understand nice. what I'm saying. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Uh, I'll, I'll link it to you later. Um... Anyway, I've wasted 10 minutes on this. Yeah, if you want something fucky to read, that one, maybe I'll link it in the, in the description. Um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was the difficult part. It was uh, with, uh, with, with, with bringing in those difficult things, explaining them, making it sound like I know what I'm talking about, all you know, in the <laughs> short time period because I can't do things ahead of time, especially not in the summer, especially not at home, especially not yeah. during a pandemic. Yeah, there's so many things that sort of untether us. Um, yeah, so that's what we have for y'all on, on Decomposing Worm. Yeah. That's that's what we had. It's been a trip. It was. It's been a ride. You've read Worm, Clarence, and we've reflected on it. Oh my goodness. I know. It's, it, you're, you're a worm now. I'm a worm? 
Yes, <laughs> yes, you're warm now. Um, that's yeah, that's what they call uh, parahumans fans. Actually, what what What's what, so what is warm? the I, I, we're the parahuman fandom? But what are like? Are, are we just like parahumans? Is that what we are? Right, like like as members of the fandom. What what is our name? I mean, parahumans mm. is not is, is better than Hulakians, so at least there's that. That's it's a low bar. We don't need to go down that path. What what are Homestuck fans <laughs> called? Homestuckians, ho- Homestuckers, trolls. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you were talking about that, right? That's a t- that's it's yes a narrative. Uh, yes, it's it's uh wild. Um, no, th- yeah. it's, I would I, I spoke about it at the Doof meeting because uh, we have we have Doof meetings with all of us. Um, I don't remember why. Oh yeah, I just wanted to call them all old because they don't know the experience. I'm surprised you don't either, uh, actually. Uh, so Homestuck I mean, was well, what what? Oh no, no. I just all I know is that people talk about it sometimes. Well, so Homestuck, but it seems very polarized. Oh yeah, because a lot of people think it's trash and are really annoyed with the fandom, and then probably. Almost everyone who has read it can probably agree that it's like a really good, you know, work, right? Mm-hmm. I I haven't. I I got stuck at the beginning. The beginning is really terrible. Everyone can agree on that much. Um, but it's uh it's sort of a web comic game serial. It's it's kind of complicated to explain, but it's like you, it pretends that it's a game, but it's not really. It's it's a story. Um, I'm not entirely sure of the particulars, but what what is what the reason I brought it up is because they don't know the the other doof members don't know the experience of going to school and seeing your fellow classmates dressed up in full troll regalia uh That's the entire so like costume of of the trolls as in like wearing horns of different varying sizes um in a lot of stripes I feel like I just wouldn't have noticed so, that You know what? Yeah, that seems like that seems like you. <laughs> You'd be like, "Oh, that's just a fun fun no, thing." This is Thursday. Yeah. Thursday they wear horns. Thursday we wear horns. Um, and occasionally they would come in full gray makeup. It's just yeah. full gray. And that was like a whole, like, that wasn't just one person. That was a whole, like, clique. Like a whole group yeah. of them. Yes. Which, honestly, I'm envious of. That That's such a baller move, coming in dressed up like that. That's that's badass. Like, nerdiest thing I've ever seen. But, like, I mean, I, I definitely wish that you, like, I could. Commit. Yeah, I, I definitely wish that I could dress up as a monster every day I went to school. Like, that just feels right. I want antlers, damn it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking of doofs, um, let's let's say some stuff that's uh, that's going on in doof media right now. Uh, Clarence, can you tell me a little bit about a certain episode that's coming out the same day we are? Yes. Uh, both of us were on Pale Reflections. That's right. Um, on the, like, reflecting arc um, for the fourth arc. Yes. 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 Leaving, Leaving a mark. A mark. Um. And it was very fun and cool. Um, Boone and Elliot are very nice. <laughs> and Pale is super interesting. And I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah, you read all four arcs of Pale, which is a very... That's like 500,000 words at this point. Or 400,000. I read it like this week. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how you did that or why. You had plenty of time before Clarence. I did definitely had plenty of time. Um, who knows? Who knows why I didn't? <laughs> all I know is that it's... You know, I'm I'm in it now. You, you are in it. Are you are you gonna catch? Are you gonna stay caught up? Do you think? Or are you gonna like let it go and then catch up and then? Um, I'll probably I'll probably like be like half an arc behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. See, see, I I do that because I really like binging and I really like you know reading a bunch of chapters and then catching up on pale reflections, right? Yeah. But I really also do miss um being on the very front line of like 
being in the discussion threads when an episode comes out because that's a lot of fun mm. um, and getting to participate in that that hype. But I haven't in a while. Maybe I should catch up like fully these last couple chapters and then and then do that. So yeah, I feel like I notice more things when I read all the way through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's like present in my mind. Right, but you also probably miss some from going so fast. That's true. So. Yeah, yeah. You you yeah you yeah, hit the, kind of give or take. the broader stuff for sure though. Um, yeah, so the, the same day that this episode comes out is is us. We we talk about it um, for a whole you know hour and a half. Uh, talk about Snowdrop, about how wonderful she is. We talk about mm-hmm. uh, no spoilers though. I shouldn't. I, I'm not spoiling anything. I just now you know there's a character named Snowdrop, I guess. Um, and uh, so many wonderful things in there. Wonderful things. Um, the other thing I want to plug, because I kept forgetting to plug it this entire time, or at least for a while, uh, check out What Just Say, the most wholesome podcast on the network, where Scott and Elise Daly uh, cover the soap opera. Is it a soap opera? I think it's a soap opera. The OC, um, episode by episode, in a very amusing and wholesome way. And they're just lovely. And no, you don't need to watch the OC to enjoy What Just Say. You just need to enjoy them gossiping about characters and just enjoy drama i'm never gonna watch the oc it's not gonna happen would you call like 90210 a soap opera i have i don't know i don't watch that either i have taste well, it's like it's like dawson's creek oh my god ah ah these are things that we have inherited uh-huh but i don't know if they're soap operas i think they are i guess so. i guess my idea of a soap opera is so wrapped up with spanish soap operas that it's like yeah the, yeah in my head it's, it's like telling so much worse Spanish soap operas are really bad, y'all. They're so fun. No, though. they're fun, but they're really bad. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, yeah. These are soap operas because Grey's Anatomy is a soap opera. That's the same thing. Oh, it's very emotional, Grey's Anatomy. I was not expecting that. I will never let myself continue watching it. It's too addicting. It's super addicting. I, and I just, I just can't. That no. <laughs> you know what? You know what Grey's Anatomy is. Grey's Anatomy is a great argument to me of why immortality is a bad thing. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy is like the thing that makes me understand that okay, maybe maybe endings are a good thing. Maybe we should have endings, yeah. not necessarily because it's like gone on too long. Like specifically, like it's oh the the quality has dropped. No, I just don't want it's it just, to be around anymore. Yeah, like it just. But I mean, admittedly, like that sort of show has that sort of thing right like general hospital went on is is general hospital like still going on is that a thing that's such a terrible name for a show what i mean that was like a that was like the the hot ticket you know for a while general hospital Ugh. yeah who named that you know i've never heard of it what what this is this is you know uh television history i know uh mad mad men i know that mad men yeah I've never seen that. I probably won't, but... And, like, I mean, like, Days of Our Lives was, like, a thing. Right. Yeah, that, too. Yep. You know, there's just, uh-huh. like, this whole slew of them. Yep. No? You know, no? You know, what, you know what I did watch? Uh, George Lopez. I don't know what what his name of his sitcom is, but that... Um, oh, that does sound familiar. Good Luck, Charlie. <laughs> is that Hannah is Montana? That Disney? Yeah, these are, these are Disney shows. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, like, that's, like... 2000s yeah and, and you know like the sweet life on deck and sweet life with zach and cody that's well those don't have like quite as much like like emotional turmoil, are you kidding me i feel like every episode had me uh well i had uh well sweet, sweet life on deck had debbie ryan and i had a crush on her so like that i mean that was full of emotions to me oh 
I guess. I don't know. I guess I just don't put Disney in the same league bracket. Yeah. They do a lot of shows. Okay, you know what was the most like under such such a tragedy that ended of of Disney shows? Mm. Ned's Declassified School Survival Guide. That was so good. It was so good. I feel like I remember that. It was wonderful. It really helped me. At least I felt it did. Probably didn't, but um I don't know if I remember anything from it though. I remember like three specific specific episodes. That's yeah. nothing else. Okay. Um, we've, I really, I really just let the tangent roll. I just, I guess I just don't want the podcast to end. We are right at the ending. We're, we're like two lines we're from so the close. end. Why didn't, I'm sorry, y'all. Um, you know, let us know for the next episode what you guys want us to do. Um, it's not funny, <laughs> Matias. It's just sad. Um. But it's not like we're done, like, forever. No. I mean. We're coming back. We do have, we have, we do we have, have things plan. on the horizon. Yes. 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 On the periphery. Well. Good? Yes. 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 All right. Well, for the Patreon. Um, if you like what we did here at Doof Media. Yeah. Yeah. If you like what we did here at Doof Media, you should consider donating for the Patreon. Um, a single dollar or whatever else you should. There's. Do we have like a list of. Tiers? Of what? Yeah. Yeah. The tiers? Yeah. It, Is it like on the website? Yeah. It's on the Patreon. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yes. Uh, you should okay. check out so pick, the pick, tiers. Pick one, five, 10, 20, or 40, Clarence. Um. Ten at a ten dollar level, you get access to our bonus content, which are uh, special episodes that that members of the Doofast create. Right now, there's two series on there with another one coming up. Um, the first one is uh, Freeman Bros, where Matt Freeman and his brother talk about a bunch of intellectual stuff, and they're really smart. And they talked about MMOs recently. Um, then, of course, there is Doofovers, which me and Jarvis we uh, do anime good. Basically, is is what we're <laughs> is what we're going with for now. Um, doing um episodes of the doofcast that uh didn't get the attention they deserved with from anime lovers and we probably will also do other stuff i don't know yeah and then one uh one one new thing um that's that's coming up on the horizon on 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 bonus content uh something that elliot's working on called uh the high ground haha think about it think about what it might be about contemplate also if you're on the discord maybe think about what terrible opinions elliot has regarding something anyway yeah lots of things um so if you want to you know access those um interact with the content that is available um then you should donate that's right um that would actually uh, some some of the money that you guys have sent in to the patreon will actually be used to pay for our intro music for um dissecting twig and and for a good logo um which we're yeah we're very excited about seeing what um we're we're going to be using the same uh music uh, creator uh, to that created the intro for this so I'm very excited to to use them again and and see what they'll uh be creating this time um <laughs> okay uh if you uh, it, 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 in addition to uh considering donating to us consider donating to wadbo's patreon he's the one that wrote worm and uh packed and twig and ward and pale and all these wonderful things that that we just yeah, adore huge amounts that he's yes. written and yes. he's like constructed this whole community yes i will one day have a pan worm or pan wadbo work tattoo it's gonna happen i'm gonna do it declaring it right now i have it in an image in my mind but it needs mm. some fixing first but yes where would you put the tattoo oh uh, i don't know there's always arms but like the thing that i'm mm, thinking of is yeah. like not like large large but like medium size you know like yeah so maybe maybe like upper side chest 
Mm, yeah. Perhaps. That's a good place for tattoos. Yes. I was thinking um, a twig with a sparrow on it and then also a scarab on it. Now, the twig can represent twig, but I don't want it to. Pro- so probably yeah. something else represent twig, but I don't know what yet. Hmm. Maybe a meat hook. Oh. Hanging from the... What's an image? Yes. It's on the, the essentially the cover art of Twig. Anyway, let's finish up. Um, anyway, if, yes, if yes. If you uh, cannot donate, we totally understand. We t- just appreciate mm-hmm. you guys listening um, and, and, and taking the time uh, to go through 45 hours of content. Uh, yeah, we're so glad you made it this far. Yeah, why did you do that? <laughs> why? Why did we do this? Because everyone's so excited about that's it. That's true. That's true. Your excitement has been wonderful. And we, we really, really appreciate seeing that. That, that was so encouraging. Well, you guys have been, like, very welcoming yes. into, like, the community. And I know I don't, like, talk a lot. Um, well, besides now, yeah, I mean, obviously air. I talk a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, everyone's been, like, super nice and enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, a couple times some people asked um, where the music came from. Actually, I wanted to mention it's uh, they go by Ianu. Um, and you can follow their Instagram, and if you really want to, you can actually DM them for uh, to make music if you would like. Um, I'm not going to tell you their rates because that would be, um, you know, they might have changed. Uh, but mm, yeah. um, they they were very very reasonable. So um, their uh, their Instagram is it's uh, period ianu. So that's i t s dot i a n u. So if you want some some dope music. Uh, go check them out. They also have a Spotify, uh, which is called Ianu Sound. So the same Ianu and then Sound on SoundCloud, I think. Mm. So uh, now that the podcast is ending, um, you can send us an email again, as always, at decomposingpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to keep the decomposing as our like tag going forward, probably for uh, Twig and any other you know similar literary po- podcast that we keep, uh, probably mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so that would be decomposingpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or you can leave us comments in the discussion thread. We would love to read your final thoughts on the series as a whole and, you know, maybe your excitement for dissecting Twig. It's things you'll want to see or anything else. Um, and if you leave any questions or stuff like that, we might answer them in the first dissecting Twig episode. Or maybe we'll do a little, you know, Q&A or something like that if we have mm, enough. Yeah. Um, or you know, whenever we come back with an essay, if we ever do that, no promises. I that That's... Honestly, it's a low chance because I'll, I'll say that because I like I want to in the moment and then I will just never want to again. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. you'll be like, oh, next week. Y- yeah. And then I do that for yeah, six years. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> but maybe six years from now. So uh, but you can also follow our, our Twitter, which is uh, at Decomposing Pod. That's where you'll hear the first announcement of uh, uh, dissect- Dissecting Twig whenever that is. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. also follow the Doof Media Twitter um, if you haven't already, which is at Doof Media, uh, where you can see announcements for, about all the podcasts and also anything else that we're doing in general, which you can see our announcements for when we're doing um, our uh, Doof, uh, what are they called? Do Not Doof Plays, shoot. Doof Hangout? No. Doof, doof and Chill. Doof and Chill. Thank you so much. Ha, uh, ha, doof and chill. Welcome. Uh, we're doing one actually in a couple of weeks uh, for Halloween, not on Halloween, I think the week before, right? It's on the calendar. Yeah, yeah the, the 24th. The 24th. Thank you so much. Where we're all going to be reading spooky stories. So I'm very excited about that one. I am super one. excited yes. about it. Oh, gosh. I got to pick one, huh? Don't I? Oh, no. Do you have... To, are we writing it or, or I think I think we're one? choosing. But we could probably write one. So see, the thing is, mm-hmm. I have like one that was actually unsettling. And I don't know if I want to read it. <laughs> yeah. Is it like nice spooky or like bad spooky? It's uncomfortable. Hmm. Just physically. 
Anyway, yeah. also, if you want to, you can follow my Twitter, which is at PodMatthias. And I post a lot of stuff about depression and being queer. So, <laughs> and sometimes I'm funny. Mostly it's depression. You are funny on Twitter. It's relatable. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you're a millennial, um, if you're a or, or Gen Z, you know, in your alternative and lifestyle whatsoever, I would say you would enjoy my content. <laughs> um, you can also follow mine. Um, it's being underscore Clarence, I think. Yes. Um, I don't know how to classify what I do on there, but it's it's a collection of things I like and think. Yes. I guess. And, I mean, if, if uh, Clarence, whenever you, you publish more things, um, because you're a wonderful poet, uh, that will be where you post oh, it, yes. right? And that's where people can, yeah, can yeah. read it. I'll, yeah, I'll tell people about my poetry He's He's a very things. good poet, y'all. Very, very good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Uh, th- that's, that's all we have for you on that's Decomposing Worm. Not for just this week, but... Forever. forever. Not forever. Not forever. Probably not forever. Probably not forever. Okay. All right. Here we are at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's a small chance there might be more, but as far as we know at this moment, this is it. Yeah. If only we had more time. If only we could talk on and on and on. But alas, time is neither overabundance or underabundance, just kind of there. And we are left bereft in its perfectly timed wake. And even though our podcast was long, about 45 hours, it's still ending. And you know, it makes me think, it makes me feel how we're so very short in the end. I'm hitting stop. Yes. Yes. The end.